who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And Ray John. Welcome back to another episode of Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. Today's guest is my best friend, who I miss so freaking much, <laughs> Christina Lopez. Hi, girl. Hey, Molly. How's it going? I miss you, too. I know. I miss you so much. And you picked today's movie, which I I'm did. so happy. I sent you some campy options because I was like, I need camp right now. Yeah. I need something that's not going to... My soul won't potentially get buried in it. And I sent you <laughs> like a Haley Duff Christmas movie and then something about like girls like, you know, stealing Chanel or something like that. And you picked How to Murder a Millionaire, which is a movie similar to Menu for Murder, where it's a movie of the week that I'm pretty sure probably aired on like NBC in the 90s. It's, ni it's a 1990 movie. Um, it's mislabeled on the Lifetime website as being 1998, which makes me wonder if that's mm. when they acquired it for reruns. Right. Um, but yeah, no, this movie is fantastic. I mean, we've got Joan Rivers. We've got Morgan Fairchild. We have uh, Telma Hopkins. We have Anthony from fucking Designing Women. I mean, <laughs> this movie is, has a little bit of everything. It's unbelievable. It was so I genuinely laughed at this more than I've laughed at most comedies that have come out in recent history. It felt like, yeah, it had that kind of like br brisk pace and like, I don't know, like chemistry, the chemistry was on point and kind of, you know, that like duo gets into like a precarious situation. Hijinks and what did I say when I was texting you this morning? It was filled with like hijinks and mischief. I guess uh, so. Yeah. Uh, hijinks for sure. Like it was so hijinksy. And um, oh, you know, real quick, people might recognize uh, Thelma from uh, Aunt Rachel from uh, Family Matters. 
Yeah, she's, I mean, I was looking at her IMDb before we started this. Oh, yeah. And girlfriend is still working. She just wrapped something called um, Casa Grandes, which I haven't heard of. Um, and she did seven episodes of it. Dead to Me, she was on recently. Yep. Family Reunion. I mean, obviously, um, Joan Rivers has passed as yes. well as, um, how do you say his name? Massach Taylor? I think so. I'm so sorry if I got that wrong. I feel, especially when these movies have like older stars in them, there's a large portion of our audience that I know has frustration boiling under the surface. Um, And I don't blame you. Like there are a lot of things that I don't necessarily remember the references. So please, you know, this might be one of them where you're going to have to be patient with me. Um, I, I can do a quick Google while you're talking. So then there's also Gene Wolfe, who plays Monique. And this is a really interesting <laughs> character. So they use this, they use this sort of device, I guess you could call it, where they have this talk show called Monique, which is, you know, kind of like a bit about, I think, 90s talk show culture in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she really sets the tone for a lot of things. So sh- they use this to fill you in on what's going on. Um, you have to remember if this was made in like 89, 90, this was like the rise of Jenny Jones, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, you know, a little Monica, bit past Oprah. Oprah yeah. yeah like, Ricky Lake was getting in the game. So um, this is like, Again, this is super fast paced, as you said, which I love about this movie. There's a lot of like one, two minute clips that I'm going to play for you guys that really I can't believe how much goes on in sometimes a minute in in this movie. Meshach Taylor. Meshach? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, this (laughs) was he was great in this movie. And. You know, I will tell you, there are a lot of things in this movie that are really, like, tone deaf. I want to throw that out there. This was made in 1990. Unfortunately, I am going to play one joke that I think could potentially be offensive, and I will give a trigger warning before that. Her entire relationship with her maid, like, was so uncomfortable for me to watch. It was uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable. And it's... uh. There's like, you know, there was some there was some things where I was wondering if maybe contextually there were jokes within the joke that I didn't understand. Like maybe there what the bit was that these women would treat their maids horribly. Um it like I rewatched Clueless with two girls in their 20s recently and or like early like they were 20 and 21. And the things that I was like explaining to them about the movie where I was like, no, like it's funny that Cher had a computer to help her with her closet because it was considered extravagant to have a computer in your bedroom at the time. Right. Like <laughs> there things like that where I was explaining it. And so I do want to throw out that there might be some sort of nuances to this that I don't understand because I was um, five in 1990, I think. So, well, they comment on like Walter's kind of like a attack the fight. And he like the re- the reason why they have a rotary phone phone is because like the dial tones on the touch phone bother him. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, he's afraid of buttons. That the whole character, he's well, afraid of buttons. And so this is when you listen to the beginning. It's also like ties into like why he moved away from his business, and like that's the bigger storyline. So we can get into it. But his his uh, avoidance of technology 
uh, plays throughout the film. And it kind of like you realize like what was considered new technology back then, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into this movie really quick. But Nicole, I mean, Nicole, did I, just call you, I called you Nicole. Wow. I guess, you know, you sort of play the same role in your life. Well, no, not at all. You're my best friend. I just I also record with Nicole well, every day. I mean, we support you. Yeah, but I I mean, I hope I support you guys too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but I sometimes Shut I call up. sometimes I call Blue Wags, but only when I'm frustrated with him, which uh. a, I know. Sometimes like when he's bothering me, I'll be like, "Wags." And I'm like, "Oh shit." Can I ask, like, I don't know, this is not the time or place for it, but how are you in your your grief process with with that? I'm good. I still cry really hard, like, two or three times a week. Like, I'll just have, like, a fucking meltdown. Um, Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, like, it was so hard to watch him at the end that... Yeah. It was just, I mean, it was so bad christina you know so um yeah but it's you know blue is a great cat i will say that i woke up to his two paws on my windpipe pressing in really (laughs) hard and i was like is he trying to fucking kill me he just loves you so much but he did successfully wake me up and i think food was his bottom line i mean you'd be surprised at how little this cat cares about he sleeps all day he wakes up for food I cannot get him to play with anything. He doesn't care about anything. Like, he just wants to sit on me and eat. <laughs> Which is so sweet. And I really honestly, so cute. I have to tell you, I love having a cat. It reminds me of what I loved about having a cat growing up. Like, he's just so cuddly. And he's also really low maintenance, which is really nice. Like, yeah. The most I have to do is clean out his litter box every day and of course just make myself available. Like I'm at his beck and call, but he really again needs me three times a day. Except <laughs> twice a week, I can tell he's he gets a little edge on him and he's like, you know, there's a meow that he does and I'm like, "Oh, he wants to get high." And that's when I give him the catnip. But like twice a week, he's like, "Bitch, <laughs> I fucking had it." give me the nip. Like I just need, I need something to take the edge off. And so he does get a little mood and I love it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I know what you want, dude. You want to get high. I feel you. Like, wow. <laughs> I, know, a hard day. I know what this is really about. Um, but yeah, so I want to say that this movie stars Joan Rivers and before, oh, yeah. we, you know, started this, I was telling you, I really feel like Joan did a notes pass or like a joke draft of this. For sure. Because it was so Joany. Like it just had so many jokes where I was like, that could only have been put in her mouth or another actor's mouth by Joan. Although mm-hmm. I will say, you know, the writers who did this movie are incredibly prolific. Yeah. So she definitely like maybe took a pass on, on her stuff and like punched it up and did a punch up or some, some something like that. And to give credit to the director, this is done by Paul Schneider, um, who let's look at his. He did some Beverly Hills 90210 episodes, some JAG episodes. I remember because I was like JAG officers. He did a lot of made-for-TV movies, but yeah, I mean, this movie is just excellently paced. It's 
you know, when I write with my friend Todd, we call each other hijinks and pros. That's our writer's nickname. And I'm pros, like 100%. But Todd is hijinks coming from a background of writing like NBC kids morning shows and and doing Disney and uh, just like comedies like that. He's so good with hijinks. And I find them really difficult to write because I don't... (laughs) I don't always respect hijinks. I'll tell you that much. Like I, a right. lot of times I look at it and I'm like, this isn't that funny. Um, but he's really great at writing them. And I will say that the hijinks in this movie, they, for me, they paid off. I really enjoyed how silly it was. Um, and I, mm-hmm. the and they committed them. to it. That's the thing. Like I felt like every single person committed to their part really well. Absolutely. And, um, I, you know, I also said before this, I feel like, in a different timeline. I'm not sure who was who in this movie, but the way <laughs> um, Irma and Teresa love each other really reminds me of you and me. Like, <laughs> sort of love and appreciation that they have for each other at the end. I'm like, that feels like me and Christina. Like, this is a real friendship right there. I was happy that ultimately, like, this was not about murder. Really, it was about friendship and it was kind of beautiful. And it was also like, I'm not going to say like, woke but it was more self-aware about sort of the class differences um than i expected from like a romp like this totally especially for the time that it was made it's sometimes nice to go back and see that they were talking about things like you know class and you know race issues maybe not so overtly as we do today but even in the jokes there's like an undercurrent of wokeness which not wokeness but like a- awareness i guess social awareness and responsibility and i think joan rivers you know as much shit as she's gotten even posthumously for being mean like, I think that she was a very sweet woman. I had the pleasure of meeting her once. And mm-hmm. she, it just, you know, she was a great lady. And I think that she stood for a lot of really good things. And so, you know, I feel this sort of warmth that I have for her. If you're a Joan Rivers fan, or if you're looking to find out why people love Joan Rivers, one, watch uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, but two, watch maybe this movie. I would say yeah. anyone listening should watch this movie. I would say anyone watch listening should watch Muppets Take Manhattan too. Oh my god. Uh, Gregory Hines also fantastic in that movie. Um yeah, what I was going to say is that I had never seen her act beyond Muppets Take Manhattan. So I didn't know what she could do. And I was really surprised at how good she was in yeah, this role. She was great. She was really yeah. good. I was surprised too cuz she, you know, it's not like the craziest emotional work that a person has to do, but she definitely was more than just a comedian. She certainly can act better than a lot of, you know, comedians yeah. who try to make that transition now. When you think about Joan, you know, so much of her comedy came from like it seems superficial, but it came from like a deep emotional place and um yeah, I just I yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that she could do this, but it was great. It was great. So Let's uh, get into it. So we open up on this salon scene and there's so <laughs> many great just like set moments in this in this movie. But, um, you know, it's very um, it feels a little bit like the salon from Legally Blonde. If you want like a yeah. reference where it's just women who camp out all day. And like some of them are eavesdropping on their conversation. And like, I didn't ro- realize this until I watched it the second time, but they're basically explaining the power dynamic. That's really like the center conflict at the heart of the film. Yeah. And um, it starts, it starts in a way that's so quick that 
Yeah, I got whiplash. Yeah, if you didn't tune into your TV at exactly 8 p.m. when this started, even 7.58, you might have missed something very essential to the plot. But this scene's great because there's also a woman next to them who has a little lap dog that has foils in its hair. And that really (laughs) did something for me. Um, But yeah, so Joan Rivers, we find out her character's name is Irma. She's married to this guy named Walter and Morgan Fairchild, who is just was iconic in Menu for Murder as well. Shout out Dwayne Poole. I thought Dwayne Poole might have written this, by the way. But um, (laughs) her uh, character's name is Lorraine. And she's married to a guy named Gilbert, who talked Irma's husband, Walter, into retiring so he can take control of the business. So Gilbert is um, Lorraine's husband. And they're like, I guess they're like couple friends. But they're both, they're all bad friends to each other, ultimately. Yeah. Um, it's very superficial friendship. You know, they all live in Beverly Hills together. And they're like, they are maybe like a bad version of like Faye Resnick, Chris Jenner, and Nicole Brown Simpson. They're like Beverly Hills ladies who lunch and they <laughs> spend all of their time together shopping and putting around town. Yes. Um, so that's a great way to describe it, ladies who lunch. Um, for those who yeah. don't know that reference, it's actually a Sondheim, Sondheim reference. Uh, I forget what show that's from, but uh, go watch the performance of that. So It's just like a bunch of rich ladies who just like brunch all day. Yeah. So Morgan says that um, Morgan Fairchild's character, Loretta, says that Lorraine, sorry, says that Walter had to retire because he has future so- shock syndrome which won't allow him to use computers. He won't even use a push-button phone. So an underlying thing is. <laughs> is, is syndromes and how, you know, they kind of like have these buzzword yes. syndromes that come up a lot throughout it. And this is, you know, sort of like the beginning of the pop psychology era where people are just out there diagnosing each other the way that we have continued to today. Yeah, I know. I, and it like there was something else that I was watching the other day where someone was talking about going to their analyst and I was like, oh, I'm because it was like in the 70s. And I was just like, oh, I miss like, what if I could just say I'm going to an analyst instead of saying like therapist or counselor or psychiatrist? <laughs> right. No, it is it like I'm um, being analyzed. It sounds better. I don't know. They had like a a sort of like shameful way of describing all of that stuff that sounds so much better than I'm going to like the women's clinic (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) yeah it was all much more the way they danced around it was kind of nice so um Irma (laughs) leaves the salon and she passes this woman in a maid's uniform who we're gonna find out is Teresa and she's a con woman um, I love that there's like a shopping montage or like like a like an opening montage like they've mixed that together right away like this is the pacing of this movie is really fast and slow because there are parts that I feel like it dragged but I feel like we got started right away right and like you know it's it is fun because we do get a lot of like Beverly Hills moments because like you know she passes Teresa and she goes right into the boutique that Teresa was looking at and she buys this green blazer with like paw prints and cheetahs all over it it's very tacky it's so consumer it's like so also at the same time you watch something like this and you're like god I wish I got I wish that was me I wish that was me (laughs) you wish you were buying that blazer 
just bopping around town being like, oh, two grand for this messy thing. Oh, God, oh, yeah. I put it on my card. Like, who charge it? Yeah. Um, so the con woman, Teresa, goes to meet her boyfriend, Danny, who was waiting for her to bring him the trinkets that he that she stole that day at her job. So we're going to play this scene 147 to 249. Hey, 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 Hi, baby. <laughs> I was work today. I bet you cleaned up, didn't you? <laughs> well, this is the best I could do. What, what, what is this, some kind of knickknack? Danny! That was nice. I saw one just like it at the mall. Teresa, you have got to get with the program. You don't want to be a nobody the rest of your life, do you? Danny, come on. Can we just go back to car stereos? I mean, you always said it was the best lookout you ever had. And what about that insurance scam? I could be your witness. Teresa, you have to have insurance to do that. Well, Danny, it's not easy stealing things from people's houses. I don't like it. Hey, 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 how many times do I have to tell you this is not stealing? The only way the rich people get rich is by cheating people like us. You are just taking from them that which they have stolen from someone else. All right, baby, look, I'll do better tomorrow, okay? That's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> kind of true. I So, yeah, I <laughs> I definitely will say that as soon as it started, I felt very conflicted that the two main characters who are uh, like black people are all Mm -hmm. these con men or you know con couple and then I thought about it and I was like I'm okay with it because I feel like that's reflected even in today's society where it's like sort of like fuck capitalism like fuck these people like you're I'm yeah of course I'm gonna go steal from these people whose houses I have to scrub today and while it is not Christian to do that, I do think that it's very, I think that like, I'm okay with it. I, I wound up being okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like when you consume anything like this, it's like you have to always measure that cognitive dissonance of like, oh, okay, they're doing this thing. It's not ideal, but it is this other thing. And like, how much do I have to divorce for me? Like as a person of color, I'm Latinx and I, <laughs> I, re- I like because that's not a race right so I'm multi I like I'm multicultural in that I am black indigenous and white you know European um and so like I for me it's a little heftier because it's just like how much ha- do I have to divorce myself from my identity to be okay with something like that yeah. um which is why I mentioned like the nurse thing ki- not the nurse the maid thing kind of bothering me that probably comes up a little bit later but like, you know, Joan Rivers just speaking terrible Spanish and being mean to this maid that obviously speaks English. <laughs> like, right. right. Um, yeah. And 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 and, and, and that kind of dichotomy. And so it's just like, you know, um, and there's some like sexist jokes in here, too, you know, and it, it is of its time. But it's yeah. like how much how much is it OK to divorce yourself from from a lot of different things in order to be able to be like, I still enjoyed this experience, you know, and it's something that I weigh all the time. But. That said, you know, this we're here to have fun and talk about the well, talk about the movie. I mean, I'll never forget when you posted that video when you went to Disneyland with your nieces and there was a Donald Duck wearing a sombrero and you <laughs> you wrote like I can't enjoy anything. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I like when I went to Disneyland, I was like, ooh, that feels racist. Oh, everything <laughs> I saw, I was like, ooh, right, ra- this is racist. Or I was like, that's like, too sexual for kids. Or 
you know, this is misogynistic. Like it's difficult once you sort of see the world, even as a white person for once you see the world through the lens of like, oh shit, like time to wake up a little bit. It's, it's, uh, everywhere you go everywhere. Um, yeah. But yeah, so um, Joan and Joan, aka Irma, continues to shop and she buys this gorgeous diamond necklace. It's diamond and emeralds, probably costs like 20 grand. She puts it on her card. Then we see Irma's husband, Walter, is working on fixing the garage door at home. And when Irma tries to open the garage door, it's not. Oh, wait, let's go back to the jewelry store. This is when she like reveals that she has like a ton of credit cards. It was like an accordion flop all the way to the floor. Like yep. she has a ton of credit cards. She is wealthy. She's that not was rich. Like a thing, by the way. That was like yeah. those like sleeves of credit cards because people would have like Sears cards and like Lord and Taylor cards and like whatever you could have a card for back then. That was a that was a whole thing. Everyone it was a had, flex, right? Yeah, everyone had cards for everything, which is just so irresponsible. Like now, when I go to Nordstrom and they ask me more than once if I want to get a credit card, I'm like, you shouldn't you should legally only be able to ask once if someone wants a credit card. Cause like you are putting people in such financial peril when you do that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I like anytime they even ask for my phone number, I'm like, why? And they're so like off put by it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not just going to give you my number. <laughs> like I, I need to know why you need it. Um, but it was interesting because there is a line in the movie right before the main characters have a conversation, like somebody goes to someone at a desk and the woman says to her, at their, when he goes to the bank, when Walter goes to the bank, there's someone at the desk before the customer before. And the, the bank teller says, you need to have credit in order to get credit. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the credit department of the depart of the department store. And I, I noted that as well, because I was like, that is so sad and also still continues to be so relevant. And there's something very sad about that. I mean, this movie is 30 years old. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's trying to make a larger commentary and it's doing it through those little moments and having this plot where the characters are recognizing, you know, their differences in their classes and how that affects their lives. It definitely it definitely is. So. Um, yeah, so Walter's trying to fix this garage door. It's not opening. Um, and Irma's trying to break her car, but her brakes are now shot. So she <laughs> drives straight through the garage door. And she's, you know, she survives, but she's obviously shaken up a little bit. And then we see two Latino gardeners come running up to see the broken garage door. <laughs> yeah. And then one of them does the sign of the cross. Yeah. <laughs> the broken door. And I was like, okay. Um, that also feels racist, but okay, continuing on. Yeah. So um, Walter Walter and Irma are now in a fight um, because, you know, he's sick and tired of her shit. Let's play this clip. Um, 431 to 616. Guys, just so you know, this is the clip right here with a joke that is not okay about the trans community. If you are sensitive to that sort of stuff, please go ahead and skip this clip. And it'll just be about two minutes. So just skip forward till you don't hear the clip anymore. Next time, try stepping on the brakes. I did try stepping on the brakes. It's not my fault they didn't work. There is nothing wrong with those brakes. I checked them myself just yesterday. You also fixed the garage door yesterday and the day before. What the hell were you doing driving so fast anyway? It is 4.30. It is time Tomorrow, for Monique. Monique in the morning. I thought you watched that junk in the mornings. Get in touch with your world, Walter. That was-
was Monique in the morning. This is Monique in the afternoon. Wait a minute. You're telling me you just wrecked a $50,000 Mercedes so you can rush home to see a woman interview a bunch of uh, transvestite male strippers with nightmare hysterectomies? Is that what you're telling me? Is that all you care about that I wrecked your car? I could have been killed. You care more about that car than you do for me. I just had the oil changed. Syndromes, the subconscious patterns that shape our marriages, our careers, even the way we make love. Are they the key to understanding ourselves? Can they unlock secrets we'd be better off not knowing? How much pop psychology is enough? Syndromes. Love them or leave them. Today on Monique in the Morning. I just don't know what's the matter with Walter. It's not romantic anymore. Oh, honey, you can't expect romance from a married man, especially if you're the one married to him. Well, Walter's never been exactly a Don Juan. I'm probably the only woman in Beverly Hills who's got an IUD with a snooze along. That was her. That was Joan Rivers for sure. Oh, 100%. I will say they do this cool thing in this movie using Monique in the Morning, as I said, where they're sort of teeing up certain things. So this is the syndromes clip where we establish that in this world, everything is a syndrome. So I love I love that they use Monique like that. Um, I, I remember I was watching this and I was like, "Ooh!" I was like, as I was taking my uh, anti-depression meds, like I was like, "Ooh, syndrome! That sounds so much better than what I'm dealing with." Um, I w- also love really quickly because this is like you know not a lifetime movie. This is again like probably was made for NBC movie of the week. So this is when they put budget behind things and you can feel that not only in the casting of this movie but the set design for this movie and the costuming for this movie is just beyond like this wouldn't even be applicable for our lifetime scale because this doesn't feel like a lifetimey movie this feels very much like a real movie I said to Christina before we started this that I feel like this could have had a wide release and done very well in theaters yeah, I agree. I think it either had a, a wide release or was intended to be wider and it didn't, for whatever reason, I guess it didn't materialize and ended up being scooped up by a TV network. Oh, I see. I think that, I mean, is that, do you know that for sure? No, I just got that vibe of it. Like this was probably intended to be a feature and whomever ended up producing it probably was able to get that talent and maybe... Maybe Joan Rivers wasn't as big as of a draw that they thought it would be. And maybe it ended up in the network TV hands. I don't know. It's hard to so, say. That's This is just me posturing. I actually think that this... So made-for-TV movies were like a real event back then. And Oh, they, yeah, I know. Where they wouldn't come out frequently, and they would put so much effort and money behind them. So while I do think that this might have like failed to get distribution, I think that's 100% possible. I actually think that this was sort of a television event and this is something that like the whole family would gather around and they, you know, mm-hmm. they use people like Anthony from Designing Women and Morgan Fairchild and Joan Rivers and they put this fantastic cast together so that everyone, anyone who's interested in even one of those things would come out and watch this movie. I do think, I do think that this was meant to be a TV movie, but this just goes to show sort of the quality difference in between when you're making yeah. a movie in Toronto in a week and a half <laughs> versus a big 
C- I think this was a CBS production. So um, the two of them at the salon are hilarious. I love Morgan Fairchild, yes. the way that she has foiled just placed throughout her bangs. Cause anyone who's ever gotten their hair color knows that this is a mess. Like this is how <laughs> ever color their hair. And Joan Rivers has these mittens on. They're these large <laughs> white plastic sacks with red dots all over them. And I don't know what they were meant to do. I assume it's an anti-aging treatment, but it's just so over the top that you kind of don't even need to know what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And they're both wearing, are they both wearing face masks? They're both wearing like green face masks, which I don't think they would do at a salon. Like all of these salon treatments are very haphazard in a way. Like I don't think they would have you sitting with foils and a mask on your face because the timing of that, they all exist in different time zones. <laughs> like you don't leave a mask on for the same length you leave foils you know <laughs> oh man oh my gosh so Loretta so your hair is in pacific time yeah your hair is in pacific time and your face is full eastern <laughs> and the hand things are probably central I don't I'm not clear but yeah. <laughs> so Loretta and her husband pull up to the house that night to Irma's house and they're having a dinner party And Walter's still working on this garage door fix. And he's like basically putting MDF on top of this fabulous door. Well, when you think about it, I was pricing that door out in my head. And I was like, (laughs) that's probably 20 G's to replace that door. I have no, this is the thing. Anytime I see like this kind of, I, cause I grew up in apartments my entire life. So I'm just like, what do they do in that garage? Cause I know people do different things with their garages. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was, what, that was what was going through my head. Like you're pricing out the repairs and I'm just like, Oh, what, what's a garage? Like, what do people do in there? I, I 100% <laughs> agree with you on that. It's one of those like sort of attached, it's attached to the house, which I always think is a little bit luxurious. Like for me to go down to my garage, I have to like, it's, on the front of my house and you have to walk up steps to get to it. But I'll tell you from my limited time of owning a house is that everything costs a minimum of $5,000. Nothing costs Jeez. less than $5,000. Like that's why I think people go house poor is because it's just so expensive to keep a house going. And when you look at a house like this, my mom always said something very important. When you're buying a house, you're not just buying a house, you're buying like you have to be aware of the upkeep of the house and and yeah. what that's going to take. And I look at a house like this and the cleaning involved and the mm-hmm. incredibly expensive like tapestries in the house and they really go all out. I loved this time in home furnishings because they would just go all out on a print. Like every single room, Joan Rivers, the room she sleeps in, like the wallpaper matches the curtains, which matches the bedding, which matches the upholstery on the chairs. It's like really they went all in on a print. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And, you know, what's interesting is that you can tell like the gar- I'm getting back to the garage thing because it's important to me. But he's like the husband's always futzing around in there. So much so that they reference it in the outgoing voice message. Yeah. So I, my, I think that's like his man cave. That's his like. While she's watching Monique in the afternoons and the mornings, he's out there futzing around in the garage. Because, you know, we, Gilbert got him to retire. And so his whole thing is he doesn't really know what to do with his days. I'm sure Walter never went in that garage until he retired. And now that's where he just spends his days. Yeah, a lot of this is fueled by them 
you know, entering in a new chapter in their lives. Yeah. And not knowing to what to do with how to and how to fill their time. Those damn buttons. If we had stopped <laughs> button culture, Walter would be at the office and none of this would have happened. Yeah, exactly. We go to dinner um, where Walter is telling Gilbert that he heard the Japanese guys came back with a major offer for the company. And Gilbert tells him not to worry. They're not going to sell their tool to them. And Irma says, not as long as a third of it is still in my name. So Irma is a third owner in the company. This is important to the story. And I love that she owns a third of the company. Yeah, it's great. I wonder if she like helped them start the business and like did the books or something at the beginning. Because I can totally see like Morgan Fairchild being maybe second wife or coming in later when he like had more money. Oh, I could definitely see Joan being there from like the start of it. She does make a reference to how she was a receptionist for six months and then she married the boss. But I don't know. I don't know if it was his company because it does seem like all of these people are on their second or third marriage. Um, but Gilbert gives her this nod to be like, yep, you do own a third of the company. Um, and it does seem a little bit full of contempt. Yeah. So then we see uh, Loretta tells Irma, what a beautiful, beautiful dinner it was. And Walter's like, well, it's not as if you cooked any of it. And then we meet (laughs) Clara, who is the housekeeper who obviously made the dinner and is bringing them dessert forks for their dessert, which um, Irma has told her to platter for them. And, you know, Clara and Irma have a complicated relationship. And it's really only complicated in that I think... (laughs) <laughs> Irma doesn't realize how much Clara hates her, nor that she is a uh, Spanish is not her mother tongue. It appears she is like I. Th- I think she's just like a lady who's from Southern California and works as a a housekeeper. Yeah, or, or it could be her mother tongue, and and she's just like good at speaking English too. It's fine. Yeah. Like, it's it's just it's just that whatever version of this barely Spanglish that Joan Rivers' character is speaking is so butchering the language that it's just like I don't know it's just like uh, it was so deeply uncomfortable to watch. It was. <laughs> um. So Loretta's you know saying well at least you have a housekeeper. Gilbert makes me get like a day maid basically, and this is very humiliating for her. So um, Gilbert and Loretta brought a surprise to dinner. And it's a cake for Walter to celebrate his one month anniversary of being retired. So they obviously have big stakes in him being retired because who else celebrates a retirement this much? Gilbert tells him how proud he is for retiring and getting to know the computer in his home office and hanging out on the back nine. And Walter says, but I don't even play golf. And Irma chimes in, but he will if you tell him to. So Irma does not like that he's taking so many notes from Gilbert about his career and his life. It seems to be a point of tension for Mm -hmm. all of them. So Irma says that, you know, they are miserable together ever since Gilbert talked him into retiring. And she tells him that he made a mistake and that he just mopes around the house all day. And he says that the only mistake he made was 30 years ago, which is brutal. I was going to say, Walter is very, like, Trey McDougal in the sense that, like, he is a little bit of a pushover and will listen to whoever the biggest voice in the room is. And sometimes that's his wife. From Sex and the City? Yeah. Okay. I was like, I couldn't remember who Trey McDougal was for a second. And then it 
flooded back to me. I completely forgot about him. Yeah, like this whole scene reminded me of that scene where Bunny and uh, Charlotte are like trying to control Trey through their various methods. It feels like Joan's character and the business partner both have that push and pull of Walter and somehow the business partner won over. And like, obviously, I don't think either of them like this retirement scenario, Irma and Walter. No, so, they're miserable. Yeah. So I think Irma is definitely blaming Jean for all of the ills that are coming from their marriage, from them having to be around each other so much now. So then we see uh, that night Irma is crying in her bed with cucumber slices over her eyes. <laughs> and she uses her uh, dial phone that she hates. She wishes she could just have some freaking push buttons to call 911. And she tells them to come over because she thinks there's a prowler which is a word I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so she goes looking for Walter in the house, and he, she's holding this weird little pillow, which I did not understand if that was like a fancy people reference that never oh. hit with me, but she's carrying around like this little pillow with her. It's probably about the size of like, I don't know, a loaf of bread. It's an odd size pillow. So she yeah. was looking for Walter in the house. She's calling for him and she makes her way down to the garage and finds that the car is running in there. So she goes yes. around to see if Walter's like trying to kill himself or something. And then the door from the house slams shut. So she is stuck with all this carbon monoxide in the garage. She's obviously afraid she's going to die. And then at that point, she finds a ladder that she can use to break through the MDF that's covering the hole on the, on the, um, door so then the shadowy figure comes up right as she sticks her head through this hole with a hammer and it yep holding the hammer and then the police arrive okay so you think walter was gonna take a hammer to his wife's head and he explains that he got back from a long walk when he heard someone breaking into the garage and he says that they were you know fighting after dinner so he went for this long walk and he couldn't get the garage door to open and he clicks the button just to prove a point but then magically the garage door opens so the cleaning service and the next day arrives at Loretta's house and it's the con woman that we met earlier and mm -hmm. some, and a, I guess I wrote a friend in my notes but I believe <laughs> it's just one of her co-workers so they're at Loretta's house where Irma and Loretta are working out and doing like step aerobics and and <laughs> the outfits in this scene are, are unbelievable Morgan Fairchild's workout outfit is a real vibe yeah it's a whole vibe and then I love that Joan is on the couch like barely lifting her leg She's eating jelly beans because I love <laughs> there's she's a candy head and they didn't really lean into that in the movie. But like later on, we see her jewelry boxes like stuffed with hard candy. Yes, And I wish that we had gotten more of her relationship with candy in this. But, you know, Loretta tells her that Walter seems like he has some pent up hostility. And that's one of the seven signs of having an affair. She tells her that to, uh, she needs to take a quiz in Elite Magazine. The people <laughs> who it are experts that she saw in Monique. Maybe Walter cheats on her when she's out shopping. And so, she doesn't want to believe this, but it is starting to look that way. I want to say real quick for the Gen Z listeners out there, magazines were like our BuzzFeed. Like you had quizzes in them and you would like look at them for advice the same way you would do BuzzFeed quizzes, except for this, you had to use paper and pen. And they would affect your life, yeah. by the way. <laughs> These quizzes were like, oh God, this is gospel. Yeah. What are the what do what do Gen Zers have for quizzes? Because I know they're like BuzzFeed is a millennial thing. Um. Oh, it's put a finger down. 
I guess so. Or I was yeah. going to say they're too smart for quizzes. <laughs> no, I think that put a finger down is their quizzes. And it's like, put a finger down. You have daddy issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the con woman is upstairs, Teresa, to clean. And she sees the keys to the house are laying on a white Chanel bag. And she takes them. So Irma gets home to her house. And she's surprised by Walter. And she says, don't do that to me, Walter. You turn my brown hair gray again. Um, <laughs> Walter tells her that he wants to apologize. That was a Joan line, right? We can agree. 100%. There's so many bits in here that I know are Joan. Um, So Walter tells her that he wants to apologize for the way that he's been treating her since he retired. He's been awful. And now he's going to be different. She wants to go away for a second honeymoon. And she said that their first honeymoon was in Guam, which I (laughs) love, but also was a little surprised by. I think if you consider how old they were and when them, if they were going, if they were married in the 50s, let's say, like Polynesian islands were very big. Like that's why all the tiki culture stuff came in the 50s and 60s. Yes. So I think they would have gone to Guam, even though that's just like Southeast Asia and all those areas were very like tropical. And I think a lot of people were going there because I imagine it was like probably Pan Am was starting to go international. And yeah, those were the stop off cities to go to Europe or something like that. I don't know. What do you think about America's latent obsession with tiki culture that has continued on into the 2000s? I think there's a way to do it where we're appreciative of it without being appropriative. Uh, But I don't know. I love a good tiki drink myself. I've gone to tiki teas more times than I can remember. See, not even just for cultural reasons. It sort of weirds me out the way Disney adults do. Like adults that are really into tiki drinks and going to tiki places. It's like grow up. Like (laughs) I'm fine with it. I don't exclusively go to tiki places, but I enjoy like, oh, a nice different kind of cocktail craftsmanship, I'll say. Totally. I mean, there are people that are really have a fandom around it though. Yeah, truly. And like I like I could say I have an adjacent culture. Like my culture also has a lot of rum drinks. So I can appreciate like a juicy rum drink. You know? It's the tacky aesthetic that bothers me, if I'm gonna be honest. Like the part where it feels like you're in a, a Trader a, Joe's. A Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. So um, he tells her that he has a surprise for her upstairs and they get to their bathroom and it's an electronic back massager that she can use. It's just like the one that Gilbert got for Loretta. And he says, yeah, I had Gilbert pick me up another one when he was out. So she's like, oh, I guess I don't need this tonight. And she picks up her dry body scraper and she throws it (laughs) in the bathtub because I looked at that. I'm like, that's a dry brush that she's holding. Yeah. Right. It's so weird. You wouldn't even use that in the bathtub, but okay. (laughs) So as soon as she throws it in there, the electric pillow shorts out and you're like, oh, that's like throwing a blow dryer into a bathtub. Um, She would have died if she had gotten in there. So then they show an exterior shot of the house during the day and we get to see that they have these, these things that seem like a relic where... I guess, you know, at a time it was fashionable to have large cartoonist like statues in your yard. And she has <laughs> like seven foot cows and like there's little right. sheep and there's a gnome that's like at least three feet tall. I could and not I figure kinda, that out. I could not I, figure that out. Was that a thing? That was a thing because you know who does who does that? It's like it was a, definitely a Beverly Hills thing. And for a while, there was like um, it became a thing that like Persians did in Beverly Hills, where it just sort of became like 
like a you would see a house that had like lawn ornaments like that and it would most likely be like a Persian family that had that house. But now um Bethany Frankel, <laughs> like a Jeff Koontz style no, it wasn't Jeff Koontz. I'm thinking of the that fancy dog. She has a large rubber ducky in the front of her Hamptons mansion. Oh. Really? And it's yeah, it's like such a blind side. It's so tacky. And I I I I can't I can't tell if it's because Bethany grew up in Beverly Hills around the time that this movie took place. And maybe it's a part of her trying to buy back a piece of her childhood, or if she's just that tacky. So what would be what would be that for you if you were trying to buy back a piece of your childhood? What kind of lawn ornament would you have, Molly? I wouldn't because my childhood had no uh, lawn ornaments in it. But well, like, I guess how would that manifest for you in your in your home planning? Something that I would do to think of my childhood. Um, I don't know. Uh, my grandmother had these like dolls, these Royal Dalton like c- ceramic figurines, but I I wouldn't want that in my house. Although I do have two of them um, that were left to me. And oh, that's nice. I never opened the box when my Aunt Mary mailed them because I'm st- I'm so afraid of breaking them. So in my mind, they will have a future in some home. Mm-hmm. I also haven't opened up Wags's ashes. Like I have a weirdness around opening packages that have things in them that are very sentimental and special to me. But it also yeah. kind of kills my soul that my dog is sitting in a cardboard box on my kitchen island. But the thing is, is like, what am I going to do with that? Well, it took me, it took us a while to put my dad's ashes in an urn, like uh, maybe two weeks after the funeral happened. We bought an urn because I, I know my mom like put off the decision on picking something like that out, you know? Yeah. So I think it's more a sign of when you're ready. You're not ready yet. That's fine. Although I did spend the extra money because the first option for when you cremate your pets was to put him in a pine box. And I was like, I I just I don't like the idea of a pine box. Like the idea of anything being in pine to me is like what they do to people that society has forgotten is they just put them in a pine box. So I did upgrade to the nicer wood although I will probably never see it. Um, I have been thinking about ordering a nicer urn, but I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of them look so cliche. And even when you go on <laughs> Etsy for someone who makes like a custom urn, yeah, they, they really are. Like, they look like cookie jars from Home Goods. Yeah. Not to get in trouble with the Home Goods crowd again, because you guys know I love Home Goods. I truly do. Is love there a Home Goods hive? No, I've just been called an elitist because I've oh. said something looks like it's from Home Goods before, but like that's not a slight to Home Goods. It's a slight to the lifetime like decoration <laughs> department. I, yeah, I think about some of the stuff that I used to say in the past that are that's elitist, like my opinions on country crock. You know, everybody's just trying to do their best. Um, oh, I know, but like also you can like Home Goods, but still want better from set design than yes. <laughs> oh, that looks like they just went to Home Goods and like put this side table here. Um, um, yeah, I agree with you. Like the urn options all look like I was like, uh, it, they just like are corny. They're corny, and it's hard to find something like what would be right. You know what I mean? It's like hard to imagine. And I will say, like, 
I did the ash transfer uh, for my dad's ashes from like the container they came into the urn. And I definitely inhaled some of my dad. Uh, so just be <laughs> very careful. Wear a mask when you do it. Because uh, the ashes just like get air. Uh, it's very fine dust. Um, I think I'm going to keep them <laughs> in the bag. Because that way, if anything ever happens to the urn, then there's the ashes are not compromised. Right. You don't want to have to vacuum it up and then put it back in the urn. Uh, for sure not. Especially <laughs> because I cannot seem to get my dust buster fully emptied to save my life. <laughs> like there's always some debris at the bottom of it. And I never owned a dustbuster until I got a cat, but I have to tell you guys, dustbusters, come on now. Those are great inventions. <laughs> I have like a full blown vacuum. It's just such an ordeal to take it in and out yeah. of like the place that I keep it. So like a little hit it with a little dustbuster. Come on. Unbelievable. <laughs> so then, um, you know, so we see this lawn with statues and then um, we see that she, our girl's watching Monique again. And it's an episode about men who murder their wives. And yes. um, <laughs> there's so many like great little sound bites from this clip. But um, yeah, hearing all of this sort of like, you know, she's, she's thinking about the back pillow because how could you not? Right. Um, let's play this clip 1654 to 1926. Men who kill their wives. Why do they do it? How Her. do they do it? El Could it happen to you? In the studio today are three convicted murderers. Walter! Now out on parole. You think you could turn on the VCR without electrocuting anybody? Honor and I want to record Monique. I didn't promise not to kill. Ted served seven years in San Quentin. For putting rat poison in his wife's slim, quick milkshake. Bob is still serving a life sentence in Massachusetts for shooting his wife to death. But he's currently out of the Clara, don't they have. Oh! Clara, don't they have to La Michelle Geneva pull it back? Oh, the back rubber. What would I do with that? Good question. Clara, clean. Press both buttons simultaneously to begin recording. Well, there sure are a lot of buttons. Why do they make these things so stupidly complicated? And then if I click that, what? What did you do with the electric chair? The what? The back massager. What did you do with it? Uh, it's in the bathtub. No, it's not. You're not trying to fix it, are you? I thought I might have a look at it. Why don't you try to teach it to open the garage door? Going shopping, are we? As a matter of fact, I am having lunch with Loretta. At 9.15 in the morning. We may pick up a few things. How can you stand to spend your whole life shopping? You spend yours working. If I hadn't worked so hard, you wouldn't have any money to go shopping with. If I hadn't shopped so much, you wouldn't have had any reason to work. What are you doing today? I don't know. Maybe I'll watch Monique. Then at least we'd have something in common. <laughs> All right, Bob. I have to know. Now tell me, why didn't you just divorce her? 
Give her half of everything? She already spent all the money I made. She shopped till I dropped her. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite jokes in the movie. Um, Massageanetta, I have to say, as insulting as it may be that she was trying to pass that off as Spanish, Massageanetta is is funny to me. I have to say. <laughs> Massageanetta. I just love that she learned she was like, what? Bitch, oh, let me look at this fucking box. And then she like, oh, the back massager. Yes. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have to say, I think Clara may be of Irish descent, if I'm being honest. I don't even think she <laughs> is. I don't think that she would know Spanish, to be honest. She seems like very Irish to me, which might be wrong. But she's I don't know. She she was giving me Irish vibes, you know, when you know. <laughs> You're kind. Um, so Irma and Loretta. Either way, having... she seemed over it. Like she's not even hiding how over she is that job and dealing with uh, Irma, which is such a interesting name. I mean, she wouldn't have to hide it because Irma's not picking up on that no matter what. Irma's yeah. in Irma. On, she's on Irma time. Yeah. So um, we see right then that Walter is at the lunch spot with a young woman. And they pull mm-hmm. out their compacts to go watch it, like watch it all go down. And I love a little yeah. like looking in the mirror thing. Yes. And he winds Scandalous. up giving this young woman a, a necklace. And I will say I liked the length of that necklace. And additionally, yeah. I have to say the dress that Joan Rivers is wearing in the last scene, this scene, and she will wear for a large portion of the rest of this movie, I would like. To have five of those dresses made in black and wear that every day as my uniform. It's such a flattering cut. Yeah. Especially if you've got legs you want to show off. It's like, it's a perfect, I love this dress. I love it. Okay. So I have maybe a controversial take on this. Maybe, okay, maybe not that controversial, um, but maybe surprisingly traditionalist. I don't think a man should buy jewelry for anyone except his daughter, wife, or mother. Yeah. I I don't <laughs> I think I think that's probably true. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it is sort of a strange choice, but we don't know at this point who this person is to him. Right. And if Keep it that is in mind, audience. Side piece, you know, then the men definitely do that, you know, yeah. which is just you know, they're dogs. Um, so <laughs> let's generalize about men. I love that. So <laughs> when um, Irma gets home, she checks the messages on the machine and she's going through this weird routine of hiding her jewelry around the house because she's like, you know, she's not a traditional woman. OK, she knows her jewels have to be scattered throughout the home. It took me a minute to figure out why she was doing this. I thought it was so weird when I saw her put like, I don't know, was it like her necklace in a bowl of nuts? She put her necklace in a bowl of nuts and then she put like her bracelet, which did not look, it looked like costume jewelry. She put that into like a pot and it's, it's actually like brilliant. And I think people did used to do this where they would like sort of scatter money throughout the house because that is so a thing. Like when you go to Goodwill, just like finding money taped to the top of a drawer or something. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And it's because like these older people got into sort of the, these hiding habits where they would put money in the tinfoil roll or they would tape something to like the, a piece of furniture. And that way, if someone came in to rob your house, they wouldn't be able to take everything because yeah. not everything was in the same place. Right. I think a lot of people were also like growing up from the Depression era or had totally. the Depression era parents and that like, 
you know, money and security definitely travels down the bloodline. And then, of course, like domestic abuse as well. Like you Mm -hmm. become very clever about where you hide the money that you're saving to get out of that situation. Um, Although I don't think it also can show that she Irma is distrustful of of Clara and is hiding hiding it from her. I definitely think that that was a part of it because, I mean, on one hand, only Clara would probably be going into the silver or the nut jar to like refresh the nuts. But on the other hand, yeah, it probably is. She's hiding it from everyone except herself. So she's checking the voicemails and there's two. There's one talking about, you know, oh, sir, we just, you know, we've got the information on your wife's life insurance policy that you wanted. That's suspicious. And then two, <laughs> another one from the auto body shop where her car has been dropped off. And it's the guy saying, oh, all the fluid was drained from your wife's brakes. So we know, okay, empty brake fluid. I'm not sure why Walter would bring the car in for that. But if he did it, but, you know, this he is all mention, like, in our head. He changed the oil or something on the car. Yeah. He mentioned that earlier in the movie. So it is like, it seems like it's pointing to him. They're doing a good job of really yeah. muddying this because like, because uh, like, although this isn't a really like serious mystery that you're trying to solve and it's kind of obvious what's happening the whole time, um, they, they do a good job of sort of muddying this stuff up for a comedy. I would say a better job than a lot of Lifetime movies do when they're trying to bury the lead. Um, so yeah, we go back to the guy who murdered his wife, um, on the Monique show and he says that he (laughs) never wanted to kill her, but they, you know, she stopped asking what his needs were. Plus he started seeing Tiffany. Um, and there's, um, a woman on the show who's like, you know what? I actually agree with him besides that one mistake he made. I mean, you can't (laughs) blame him for being unhappy in his marriage. It was kind of a kind of iconic because that is true. Like when you would watch Sally Jesse, like these women would all of a sudden start standing like the guy on stage that's there for murdering his wife. Like there was weird internalized misogyny that showed up on these shows all the time. Yes. Especially on like Geraldo or Phil Donahue. Exactly. Do you remember that time that a guy tried to pull some like Jenny Jones shit in the audience at Oprah and Oprah shut him down and was like, we do not do that on this show. I don't remember. It's like a really old clip. And I don't even know if it was like viral or meant to go viral or if like Oprah maybe had them planted so that she could say like, this is where we are different than those other shows. Cause it did kind of seem like a plant in retrospect because they probably wouldn't let people into Oprah who were planning on doing that. I always felt like the audience members on Ricky and all those other shows, they were a little bit planted. The audience members or the, uh, the guests? No, the audience members who like, would make points that were really insulting to the people on stage. I looking back, it seems so obvious to me that at least some of them were planted to make those disturbing comments. Yes, exactly. Like the producers uh, were trying to like have this kind of external push on the uh, subjects to get them to act out. Cause like looking back, like how wild would that have been to go to a show and then get up in the audience and be like, well, I don't know. If you ask me, this ugly bitch right here is sucking this <laughs> dog-faced motherfucker's dick. And you'd be like, what the fuck? Like, looking back. Because in real life, people don't confront people like that. Like, right. 
people always talk so big about what they would say in this situation or what they would do if it was them. But in reality, people do nothing like they just (laughs) don't. It's so hard to say something like that to someone's face. And I always love when people are like, oh, well, if I got had a chance to see this celebrity, I would say this. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You would probably ask for a picture. You would never (laughs) say that. I know. Um, It becomes a George Costanza situation. You know, where he's like, the jerk store called and they're running out of you. The jerk store called. (laughs) So Walter gets home holding a lot of bags and he hides them. He hides like a pretty box that he has inside of a locked desk. And Irma is like watching all of this from the other room. And she comes and creeps in right as he's locking the desk. And he's like, how long have you been here? And she goes, about 30 years, which I (laughs) loved. I loved that line. I thought that was a John one, too. And um, he asked her if there were any messages for him. And she says no. So the end of the uh, Monique episodes concludes. Um, and then we see Irma going into the desk that Bob put the um, Bob. Why did I write Bob? That Walter put the box in and finds a gun. She calls the police and we see that the police have a chalkboard at the police station where they tally how many times she calls. It's like literally it says um, Irma Summers call crank call list and there's she makes three types of calls usually there's prowler noise and ufos (laughs) in april she called 22 times and so far for may we're up to 21 i like to think that they have like a bet going on every month like a pool yeah but it also gives you a good idea of like who irma like irma's kind of a karen yeah, she's like a Beverly Hills woman who's like, oh, a slight inconvenience. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> a moderate discomfort. Cops. Yes. So she says that she thinks her husband wants to kill her. Uh, she hangs up the phone. And then we see Loretta is getting ready while Gilbert complains that she's taking too long. So they're at, like getting ready to go to some sort of nighttime soiree. And you know, Loretta can't find her eyebrow pencil. And he's like, well, if you hadn't shaved him off, you wouldn't need a pencil. Um, <laughs> and by the way, I know thin eyebrows are coming back into style, guys, but don't do it. Oh, no. Gosh, darn it. I doubt there's anyone young enough listening to this podcast to not know that. But I will say if you feel any impulse to chip away at your brows, please don't do it. I've been spinning out all weekend about the like, middle parts coming back and like side parts being corny in the eyes of Gen Z because I don't think I look good with the middle part. And so, you know, I think it just sucks them. <laughs> this generation, these young kids are just deciding things. Let them have it. You know what? They're living on that Delia's catalog life and we (laughs) survived that time. So I feel like that's our our little edge on them is we're like, yeah, well, we survived that. It's like our our parents when our moms would be like, don't straighten your hair. And they're thinking back to the 70s when they would full blown like iron their hair, like take a a clothing iron to their hair. (laughs) Um, And ultimately, there is some truth in that. So um she, you know, Irma calls him and she's like, Gilbert, you know, my husband's trying to kill me. And Gilbert's like, yeah, well, when he's done with you, bring him over to my house, please. So um, Irma runs to her closet and she grabs two huge Louis Vuitton suitcases that she fills with designer gowns and like a whole shoe rack. And Walter's downstairs playing cops and robbers with his gun. And you think, OK, this is when he's going to kill her. He's like obviously fantasizing about killing her. So 
Irma puts on her chinchilla coat and she ties together a bunch of gowns so she can make a rope to climb down from the top floor. Walter's getting closer and closer to the bedroom. He's calling for her to come down or open the door. And um, then we go to Loretta and Gilbert's house where they're leaving to go to their event. And Loretta's complaining that going to events on time is fascist. And she's planning on being late for Ginger's wedding on Saturday. (laughs) He's not rushing for his little secretary. So keep in mind that this is all sort of building up to the Saturday wedding. Right. Um, Danny and Teresa pull up to the house um, in their car. And he's going to, you know, tell her basically how to break into the house. Let's play the scene 2950 to 3036. I thought they would never leave. At least he takes her someplace. Look, now this is the key to the front door. And this key turns off the alarm system. Danny, why do I have to break in? Couldn't I just create a diversion like when you're shoplifting? What are you going to do, Teresa? Go and ask the neighbors for a price check. You've got to learn by doing. That is the secret to education. I can't tell you how many people would just love to be studying with an expert like myself. Well. Women. This episode is sponsored by Factor. Okay, here's what I love about Factor meals. They make eating better easy. They're fresh, never frozen. They take two minutes in the microwave. You get to pick what meals you're going to eat. Over 35 different recipes are available to you to choose from. Their delicious recipes are chef-crafted and nutritionist-approved. They are very filling. Like, not too much, but they're perfectly filling. I had the keto meal last week. I've been doing the keto meals basically. And there was one day in particular that I just remember going to bed and being like, I'm actually full. Like I ate hours ago and I'm actually full. Normally I need a little snack snack. You know, I get up to the chocolate after dark But I was totally full, completely satisfied, and my meal was delicious. You can also do calorie smart meals, vegan or veggie, and protein plus. There's also other stuff you can try as well. You can get as much or as little as you want and reschedule or pause at any time. Personally, I get six meals. You can go up to 18. That's what my boyfriend does. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash mothermayi50 and use code mothermayi50 to get 50% off. That's code mothermayi5050 at factormeals.com slash mothermayi50 to get 50% off. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) All right. So I will say I love that he's framing this to her as education and that she needs to like go through this herself in order to understand the steps (laughs) because (laughs) that is true about education that at some point you need to do it yourself 
But of course, as you pointed out when we were playing the clip, we don't like how he talks to her. No, she and and she to an extent doesn't like it either. Like, you know, she can tell she's uncomfortable with the position that she's being put in. Um, And she like tries to stand up for herself. I don't know. I just think Teresa deserves better. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, in this mindset. And we hear this sort of from them later that they sort of have to do this petty crime stuff because it is the only thing that's going to get them out of the place in their life that they're in. And Teresa feels sort of bound to Danny because he is the guy in the relationship that is more accustomed to this criminal behavior. Mm -hmm. And she's sort of just like an accessory to all of it. And actually being in the driver's seat is an uncomfortable position for her, Um, which she, you know, later sort of warms up to, but never fully. Um, I do have to ask you just on a sensitivity note, what do you think about the fact that they play this sort of like hip hop beat whenever the two of them (laughs) come into the picture? It's like it sounds like it's from like, you know, uh, like the the Seinfeld interstitial, like yeah, it's like um, a more hip hoppy version of that. Like a synthy, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like I I don't know. I mean, it is the the times and they were trying to indicate like a shift in tone, but it's not like they do anything for the white, you know, couple. Yeah. Um, no, they're like they're they're cooling it up because like the cool black people are here. And I will say <laughs> that the Amazon and Lifetime closed captions refer to this as quirky music which <laughs> I loved that I love it when they just get something so wrong like they'll be like foreign language when Joan Rivers is doing her fake Spanish oh gosh uh, so Teresa goes inside and is starting to look for stuff to steal when Danny who's outside sees a dog chasing Irma down the street and she's fighting with this dog to leave her alone she's like go sleep with a coyote she's like doing this shit. <laughs> And I, I kind of like don't I don't think Joan Rivers would ever be mean to a dog, which is why I'm like, you know, oh, she's clearly playing a character because Joan would never be mean to a dog. Um, <laughs> she comes up to the back door and leaves her suitcases out there. And she says to the dog, don't even bother trying to bury those. Um, and when she walks in, Teresa's there and she's so shocked that she drops this bowl of caviar that she's trying to steal. <laughs> I do think it's funny that Teresa is such a bad <laughs> criminal that she's trying to steal an open bowl of caviar. <laughs> and, you know, Irma's so just like narcissistic and obsessed with herself that she doesn't even really question why Teresa's there. She just assumes she's like a housekeeper that's working at night. Um, and yeah, she accepts it like immediately, even though like Teresa's not even doing a good job of selling the lie. Absolutely. So then Walter sees Danny outside the house and asks him if he's seen his wife. And then we hear the dog barking in the distance and he goes, never mind. Sounds like her. And he drives up the driveway. And that felt like a Joan line to me, too. Yeah, I am. I am curious as like how much the writers were trying to write to her voice versus how much she actually like punched up the, the dialogue like afterwards. I feel like she was someone who ran in with like a lot of alts. So like they wrote the script and it was performed the way it was written. But then she said, okay, like do it again, but try this joke. Cause I Mm -hmm. feel like she probably did a lot of free punch up for a movie like this. Right. Cause there's a couple punchlines that like each of the characters give that feel a little bit all like Jones kind of sensibilities. So it was interesting to see it not only in her character, but like through the other character interactions as well. 
And I also don't think this movie was written for Joan Rivers. I feel like this is something that like she came in and put her voice on it in the end. And that's why, like, I mean, Joan Rivers is absolutely someone who would write a joke about a dog barking in the distance and him being like, oh, that's my wife. (laughs) (laughs) So it's also 90s like to do that. So inside the house, Irma tells Teresa that she's Loretta's friend, so she's okay to be there. And she tells Teresa that she's there because she's trying to hide from her husband. He's trying to murder her. So then Walter comes up to the back door and he spots the bags and he tries to get in the house. And Irma tells Teresa that her husband's trying to kill her with to get with a Twinkie. That's what she's calling this this hot secretary. And that he wants the house. Can can she even believe that he would try to kill her for a measly three million dollars? <laughs> Teresa's eyes obviously, you know, light up when she says that because, God, $3 million to her, that's like exactly what she's been hoping for this whole time. So um, the two of them run out of the house together. They're going to go to Teresa's apartment. And when she gets down there, she can't believe Danny has left. Teresa's like shocked. And she's like, we have to go. She's like, we have to walk to my place. So they start running in a direction. And and um, Irma says to her, oh, you know, there's been 13 robberies in this neighborhood recently. We have to be careful. You don't even know what fear is until you live in Beverly Hills. So, so Molly, I just did the calculations and $3 million in 1990 is $5.9 million today. Sounds right. And especially in like Los Angeles real estate, that house is probably worth $16 million today. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, um, I actually yeah. think that's lowballing it. Things are so inflated right now. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. so the two of them are at Teresa's apartment. Let's play this clip right here. 3354 to 3527. Here we are. I want to thank you so much for allowing me to come into your beautiful home. I don't even know your name. Oh, it's Teresa. Teresa Ver- Martin. Irma Summers. It's a pleasure to meet you. It would be if I weren't running for my life. Um, look, would you like some coffee? I've got French roast. I would love a cup. It's my favorite. Hope you like instant. Make that water. Can I use your telephone? I just want to call a cab. What's the nearest four-star hotel? Oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. Uh, that's what Walter is expecting you to do. He's probably at home now calling every hotel in the city. You're right. And he would call the good ones. I'll just call a girl. No, you know, calling your friends is even worse than going to a hotel. And think about what happened at Mrs. Lyman's house. No, you're going to stay right here where it's safe until we figure out a way to get you out of this mess. No, I I couldn't impose. Oh, no, 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 it's no imposition. Besides, you can't leave till you meet Danny. Danny? Who's Danny? He's my boyfriend. You know, he's always trying to get me to meet people like you. Look, sit down, relax, I'll get you a drink. Okay, so one of the there's I love this apartment set. And I also love that the entire place, including the door, is painted this like soft pink color. It, <laughs> that to me is so like late 80s approaching 90s. And I just yeah. love it. Back when someone would paint like, you know, everything but the ceiling the same color. It's like really it's also really pretty. It's like 
in a weird way, like guys would totally live in an apartment like this versus now <laughs> where I feel like a guy would not necessarily have an entire pink apartment. It's it was like just the way things were back then. Yeah, definitely. It was just like, I don't know, the 80s were such a weird time, like interior design wise, like stylistically, music stylistically, that everything was just so loud and I think this reflects that. I don't know. I don't know Everything had those like cement or like those like clear glass bricks. That was really big too. Back oh, then. wait. Uh, who who co- like collects pictures of those online? Uh, Molly Lambert. Molly Lambert. Yeah. He loves those. Um, so Irma, this is a great Irma bit where she is like, you know, she's this rich lady and she's in by her standards, a really dumpy apartment, which, by the way, I feel like you or I would have like absolutely killed to live in when we first moved to L.A. <laughs> yeah. And um, she picks up some Kleenex from the coffee table and she lays down three of them so she can just like get enough of her butt on the couch to like be physically sitting there so, um, because she thinks people are dirty. Yeah. Do you think this was just classist or do you think it was classist and racist? Probably both. I mean, yeah. I think that like they're honestly in this movie, they go hand in hand. And I truly think yes, it's life, true. you know, mm-hmm. Um but the next morning, the entire couch is covered with Kleenex and Irma is using her <laughs> coat as a blanket. She has like a little Kleenex on the on the uh, couch cushions. Like it's it's really uh, it's some good comedy. So uh, Teresa comes in and she's been out all morning and she's holding a ton of shopping bags. She went shopping and she got some stuff to spruce up her home, some satin sheets, a few new outfits for Irma, quote unquote. And- <laughs> She's been out with her credit cards, basically. So Mm -hmm. Irma tells her that she didn't have to do all that. But Teresa says, don't worry about it. I just put it all on cards. Irma's not picking up on this at all, that it was like her cards. Oh, not at all. She doesn't. This doesn't like signal anything for her. She's not like, oh, if someone lives in this apartment, how are they out shopping all morning? She's like, oh, everyone puts things on cards. So, um. She's like, hey, uh, she's like, is Danny here? And Irma's like, who's Danny? And she's like, it's my boyfriend. He never came home this uh, last night. And Irma tells her, you know, her whole life is falling apart. She doesn't know what to do. Teresa encourages her to just go take a shower. And she says that she does need a, uh, to clean up, especially after spending a night in a place like this. <laughs> really appalled by the way that the bathroom is adjacent to the kitchen i so, thought that was so funny because like for a second i was like oh, i could see why right yeah. um i guess like design wise sure yeah so then i um, think she's like the the real joke of it all is that it was so small you know everything is in close proximity but it's also just like if you think about it long enough it is kind of gross that the bathroom is close to a kitchen <laughs> Oh, totally. So then Walter uh, pulls up to his office space. Um, It's Summer's Tool and Dye Company. I still, I've been wondering this whole movie, what kind of tool is it that they're selling? Oh, yeah. I couldn't figure it out at all because it sounded like, sometimes it sounded technological, but that wouldn't make sense because Walter's not really a tech guy. So I couldn't figure it out. It's also D-I-E, like dye. Like, I didn't know what a tool and dye company is, but I guess, I don't know. I don't know, because it sounds like the tool was some sort of in-house innovation that was so great that the Japanese would want to snatch it up for a large sum of money. We're not talking like tools and like, you know, fabric and dye as in like, you know, maybe the caption just got it wrong. No, that's what it says on like the uh, exterior of the building. 
Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I have no idea. Um, so he goes to pay Gilbert. Walter pulls up to pay uh, Gilbert a visit. But before he can go in, he's stopped by the secretary, Ginger, who's that Twinkie from the day before who got the necklace. And she has a big hug for him. Let's play this scene really quickly. 3757 to 4011. Hi, Ginger. How are you? Is Gilman? Just stop right there. That's from mom for being so sweet. She thinks I should wear a necklace at the wedding. Oh, that's terrific. I hope Mrs. Summers is going to be there. I'd love to meet her. I think I forgot to tell her. Again? Yeah. Don't take this wrong, Mr. Summers, but I hope all husbands aren't like you. You must drive your wife crazy. Yeah, I do get her a little nuts now and then. No, 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 Mr. Nakajima, I do want to sell the company. I do, but there's an obstacle. See, there's a problem I have to resolve first. Yeah. Busy. <laughs> I'll call you back. <laughs> no, I'm not busy. Come in, sit down. I hate to bother you like this. Come on, sit down. Oh, place looks good. <clears throat> you look like a man with a problem, Walter. It's Irma again, isn't it? <laughs> she left me last night, Gilbert. We called the police. Oh, yeah. They they said they can't file a missing person report until she's been gone for 48 hours. 48 hours. That's not much time. Listen, Gil, I, I know how busy you are, but I don't have anybody else to turn to. I mean, you've been such a help lately. That idea about buying a gun was great. I know it would have made Irma feel safe in the house. And she loved the back massager and until it almost electrocuted her. <laughs> you know, I can't find that thing anywhere. Walter, the thing is, you want me to help you find Irma, don't you? I just don't know where else to turn. Don't you worry. I'm not gonna rest until we find her. You're a good person, Gil. We'll talk? Do you think that this is where they got the name for the show, 48 Hours? <laughs> you think that they were watching this movie, the creator of 48 Hours was watching this movie? Because by the way, 48 Hours in the context of that show is like the first 48 hours are the most crucial in, in solving a case. After the 48 hours, a case has a 30% chance of being solved or something. Um, but also, did you know that it's a lie that you can't file a missing report a missing persons report for a person before 24 hours because i always thought that was true and someone recently pointed out to me that that is not the case wait how did you come to find this information i think last week when i was recording this um or maybe two weeks ago when i was recording this with nick deramio i i believe he was the one who told me that that's like a myth that for an adult you can still absolutely file a missing persons report before 24 hours and also what 48 hours are you thinking of because i was thinking of the buddy cop comedy with nick nolte and eddie murphy but you're talking about a completely different 48 hours yeah, 48 hours is like a it's like a it's similar to like a dateline but not. It's like a show that 
is about like it's like a short it's like an hour long news program that gives like sort of overviews of cases and what happens in the first 48 hours to help solve that case. So it's a little bit of like a dateline or a show oh. similar to that where they like review sort of a crime case and and what happened in those first 48. Well, you know, I know you're doing a bit, but I just want to mention that the show uh, started in 1988 and this movie came out in 1990. So the show did come first. God damn it. <laughs> um, well, then maybe... Maybe they copied that for this movie. I don't know. Um, but I, I do know that they're somehow linked. I feel very confident about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, that I, I do like here that we get to see that Walter is, you know, a good husband. He's trying to be a good husband. He obviously feels terrible that his wife is you know, in this situation that she doesn't want to be around him. I I agree with you. Walter very much loves Irma a lot, a lot. He still really, really loves her. And I think his problem is that, you know, he's still adjusting to, you know, this retirement. He doesn't know what to do with that energy. And it manifests when he can't figure out his needs. It's manifesting as anger. And he's taking it out on the person closest to him because he knows that she can take it. And it's a syndrome for that. That's a syndrome. (laughs) Um, so then we see Teresa at her apartment. She's unboxing. What did they call it? Like future or something syndrome? Future shock syndrome, where that yeah. was like he couldn't handle the sort of updates of technology. But this is everyone has multiple syndromes in this movie. <laughs> so Teresa's at home unboxing the new coffee maker she got. Probably because she was shamed for her instant coffee the night prior. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Trying to book tickets to Acapulco when Danny comes in. So we get to find out where the hell Danny's been. 4035 to 4147. I'm in no mood to talk, so just lay off me, all right? I have to call you back. Where were you all night? In jail, all right? Serves you right for running out on me. Hey, baby, are you crazy? I wouldn't run out on you. Oh, no? Well, then what happened? Cops, baby. The neighborhood was crawling with them. It was like the parking lot and Mr. Donuts. I'm telling you, I was trying to lure them away from you when they got me. Well, what did they get you for? Parking tickets. Oh, Danny. Something wonderful happened last night. (laughs) Yeah, I just bet it did. Danny! This guy's not like a football player or anything, is he? Danny, it's a woman. Oh, baby. I don't need you, Walter. I don't need anybody. I'm on my own. I can do it. Just gotta find new plastic surgeon, fix these thighs, but I can do it. <laughs> okay. So do you think he's homophobic because Anthony <laughs> Anthony was so gay on designing women that they were like, just to show some diversity, this man is afraid that his his girlfriend was sleeping with a woman. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even pick up on that when I was watching this. <laughs> Yeah, because he's like the face. He's like, he's like, oh, you were sleeping with like a woman. And he's like a little disgusted. But mostly he's just like, I did not know that you had that in you. 
<laughs> I need to rewatch. How did I miss that gay moment? I know. Um, I was thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you right away, Christina. <laughs> Oh, that means so much to me, Molly. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if that was done to like distance that guy, that actor. Uh, I can't. I looked up his name and how to say it. And now I can't remember. Meshach. Um, Meshach, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it was an intentional thing or that that they were just playing up on like I don't two think women sharing a bed together. You know. I don't think it was. I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> around. Well, I I tried to give it serious thought. Um. So while I will say that I think it is entirely and almost certainly the case that Danny was picked up by the cops for parking tickets because he was a black man driving around Beverly Hills in a particularly creepy fashion. Um. I'm sure that he was absolutely profiled and happened to have some overdue tickets. Yep. But I will say that it also seems to me like he was in the Mr. Donut parking lot last night because I don't it, it's almost like he didn't spend I don't believe him that he spent the night in jail. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I because I, he did drive off right away when uh, Walter came up to him and was and he also about- got out of jail. So unless he paid for those parking tickets. Yeah, it's not where like the hell, where where was Danny last night? Who Who got him out of jail? <laughs> Maybe, maybe a man that he was in the company of, which is so his homophobia was projection. <laughs> this so, is the through line you're going to commit to, probably. So Irma's okay. doing like mantras in the shower. She's like, "I don't need you anymore, Walter. I could do it on my own. I just need to get these thighs fixed." <laughs> Another joke. <laughs> joke um and then we see Teresa and Danny are looking at all their new stuff and laughing about how Irma is terrified that her husband is going to kill her and Teresa is the only person she trusts anymore so they can get her to do anything they want she shows them all the cards and he's just so happy and he's like you've come a long way baby um and she tells him about the trip to Acapulco maybe it can be a honeymoon for them if they get married and this freaks him out so much. And he's like, you know what? We don't have to go anywhere. And Teresa's like, honey, we're going to have to go somewhere because Irma may be crazy, but she's not stupid. And Danny says that they don't have to worry about her catching on if they get rid of her. They can, oh. make, they can make it look like her husband did it. And Teresa says that there are two things she won't do for money and killing is one of them. <laughs> that felt like another Joan joke to me. She has to draw a line somewhere, okay? The other one is sex, right? I think so. That would make it sense to me. To she takes the credit cards and he's like, "I give them to me. And she's like, if you want the credit cards, you can come here and take them. So he starts to like sort of wrestle with her purse a little bit and she kicks him in the balls. And um, he does that, you know, classic high voice that men do <laughs> in movies when they're kicked in the balls. Um, and Irma gets out of the shower and hits him on the head with a little statue of a cat and he passes out. And they run out of the house and Irma's like, look, I didn't mean to hit him so hard, but I've just I've been taking this assertiveness seminar. <laughs> that literally to me, I, I love that joke so much. I love it because it's so that time. And, you know, when mm-hmm. women out like taking a seminar on assertiveness versus like actually working and like doing things that might require you to be assertive, like here's this Beverly Hills housewife, like taking a course to pass the time. Right. Like she like read that someone in an adjacent neighborhood was like 
like you know was carjacked and so now she needs to take an assertiveness seminar with morgan fairchild you know or like i'm seriously doubting that they even teach any sort of physical violence in an assertiveness seminar right right you to stand stronger on your two feet i think that i should go to an assertiveness seminar you know i think you could get something from that i definitely could women are not good at like negotiating and stuff like that Yeah, especially like with all the stuff that, you know, comes with being a woman and negotiating things like not just your salary, but also just car maintenance, repairs, like anything where, you know, there could be an education gap in a largely male dominated field. Like I need assertiveness in like knowing whether or not I'm being robbed when I take my car in, you know. Oh, God. I mean, come on. That is 100% the truth. And it gives me so much anxiety to just try to get my car fixed. I swear. I feel like it's Michelle Obama who started a program for women. And part of that program includes negotiating classes that teach you how to negotiate on stuff like that. Because I am that person that gets completely hosed every time I interact with someone who I pay a service for. I always, whenever they are like, oh, it costs X amount of money, I'm like, okay, sounds good. Because I just don't. Yeah. I'm like, that's how much it costs then. Okay. Yeah. Like (laughs) it also, if it's a job that I don't want to do, I can only imagine how much it costs. Like I had a guy come and clean out my backyard, like take down everything that I needed to take down for the fire code and also just like get it out of there in case there's a fire. And the guy said like, oh, you know, it's going to be a thousand dollars. And my neighbors wanted me to like lowball him and be like, I'll pay 800. But I said to them, it would cost like if someone was going to pay me to do what he did, it would be like 50,000. Like I wouldn't have done that for less (laughs) than 50. Like this shit that he did. Absolutely. I wouldn't be able to do it for less than that. And uh, you know, in, in that sense, I'm like, if if he is scamming me for 200 bucks, I'm fine with that. Like, take the 200 bucks. I'm sure you need it more than me. That's yeah. I yeah, I have a hard time, like, knowing how much something should cost. I mean, especially since, you know, I think about like when we started our, our careers and we were writing, you know, and how much people put value on that or didn't. <laughs> You know what I mean? Girl, I got $7 a post, $7. And I had to do 11 a day. And like, you know, of course, all that income is tax. I was paying tax on writing $7 posts. It was like, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's insanity. Um, so the girls are catching up at the salon and this brunette woman is asking Loretta if she really thinks Walter is cheating on Irma. And she's like, oh, yeah, the, him and this woman were practically doing it on the table. I had no idea Walter was <laughs> so interesting. Um, and it's just funny because if you saw that scene or even heard it, they were not doing it on the table. Like it's that sort of escalation that things take as they make it through the gossip mill. And Loretta really is no friend to Irma and we'll find out the extent to which she is no friend to her. But this was a, it was a bummer for me to hear that. Cause I was like, I thought if she had anyone, it was Loretta. Um, that woman seems like just thrilled to hear the tea. And, um, I wish that we had gotten more facial reactions from like the gay guy that was working on her hair that looked like Polly Shore. Because, like, (laughs) it was such an amazing opportunity to have some amazing facial reactions. But it actually, in in retrospect, it felt very true to life. Because can you imagine how over all this gossip you are if that's your day in, day out, is just listening to these 
like fucking squawk between them. So <laughs> Walter shows up to the salon to find out if the girls have heard from Irma or seen her. And Loretta tells him that Gilbert told her everything last night. And it sounds like Irma is behaving in the most unsophisticated manner. How could she believe he's trying to kill her? And Walter, this is the first he's heard about the, oh, I'm trying to kill my wife thing. So he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, listen, if every man who had an affair was trying to murder their wife, then my first husband would have been Jack the Ripper. Um, And then at that point, the receptionist comes over and he's like, are you Walter Summers? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, the nail that your wife ordered came in. And he's like, she ordered one fingernail? And, And she goes, yeah, I believe she charged it. So then Walter realizes that credit cards may be very helpful to him during this whole thing. But before he can leave, he doubles back and asks Loretta why Irma would think he's having an affair. And she tells him that Irma saw him having lunch yesterday with another woman. And he's like, that's Gilbert's secretary. He bought her a necklace for the wedding. So they're just friends. That's all. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, Loretta, what do you mean you don't know your husband's secretary? Yeah, that's true. That's true, You're too. Going to a wedding on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. But also, was it appropriate for Walter to buy his secretary a gift like that? Well, I was waiting for more payoff there. I think it's just like a pre-wedding present. I mean, when I when I watched it the second time, I was like, Walter just seems like a clueless guy. I will that say that, really yeah. Does view her as a friend because when he says they're just friends, um, Loretta turns to her brunette friend and goes, Isn't that a man? He's already tired of her. And I'm like, I don't think married men who are having an affair friend zone their mistress <laughs> yeah i also think that for some reason walter stro- strikes me as the guy who probably has like a lot of girls as friends like some guys are just like that they just relate to yeah. women better my dad was kind of like that um, oh absolutely your dad was such a sweet sweet man yeah and he had more girlfriends than he did guy friends um and some yeah. dudes are just like that and i think that walter might be a little like that So Joan and Teresa are walking through like the swap meets and the streets of Little Venice. It looks like sort of like South Central, I think. And Teresa tells her that they have to get out of town so that her husband won't find her. And Joan is appalled to learn that this is the neighborhood where Teresa grew up. And she wants to know how they're going to find money there of all places. And Teresa says there's plenty of money here if you know where to find it. So she points to a check cashing place, which actually made me really laugh. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, that's it's hilarious that she thinks that that's, I mean, you don't, those places I'd never really seen. I'd seen like Western unions and I'd seen sort of places like that when I was growing up, but it wasn't until I was in LA that I was seeing like payday advance places on every corner. And even when I was dead broke and desperate for money, I still knew you do not go to the check cashing place, you do not go to payday advance. So, for a lot of like, people in low-income areas i know this because like i went to like the first checks i ever cashed for that i got from work where i cashed them at check cashing places just because you're not near banks a lot and it's just if you don't have a bank account you know a lot of people don't have bank accounts either well Um, and they're think about it because it's so toxic that they that you know because people aren't eligible for bank accounts they just yeah advantage of in these like non-stop holes of check cashing and payday advance yeah yeah and and this movie kind of shines a lot light on those kinds of places situations a little bit um but yeah definitely predatory definitely unfortunate and uh but yeah sometimes people's only option when you're living no for sure for sure i mean that was like the thing is like 
I and that was the intent, right? And like in showing like where Teresa's life, where she goes in 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 contrast to what Irma's life is like. Absolutely. Like I don't think Irma had ever even seen a place like that before. So um we're gonna play this clip of her in the check cashing place 4704 to 5014. Could I see some ID? How about a driver's license? This woman has brown hair. Oh, grow up. Do you have any other ID? There's a bear shop in the woods. Here, try one of my gold cards. This place has a $300 limit, but we'll just go from place to place to place till you run out of checks. Isn't it dangerous carrying around all that money? You don't want Walter to get his hands on it, do you? Besides, if it bothers you, I'll carry it. There's a problem with this card. Problem? Uh, what kind of problem? It's been canceled. It was reported stolen. That's ridiculous. I mean, how could it be stolen? I'm standing right here. Do you have any other credit cards? Of course, here. Try this one. It's always been good to me. Wish I had one of those automatic money cards, but Walter hates them. Doesn't like to push all those buttons. Is there a problem here? She's been using stolen credit cards for identification. Now look, this is all a big mistake. I use these cards every single day, sometimes twice a day. Really? Well, we'll see. Yes, we will see. Yes, indeed we will see. I, I want Could both we names. possibly sit right down? down? Moms! Mom, be our swollen. Who are you calling mom? Big sister, maybe, and that's a maybe. But mom, he's calling the cops, come on! So they're running down the street. She's dropping her credit cards everywhere where she goes. Um, this is not a woman who has ever had to be mindful of her belongings in her life. Yeah, truly. So they go to try and sell Teresa's jewelry to a pawn shop and they're telling her everything she has is fake. It's worth maybe 30 bucks at most. And so she convinces, Teresa convinces Irma to sell her coat. And they use this money to get into a shitty motel for the night. And of course, Irma is complaining the entire way about the fact that they have to sleep in this place. And by the way, I don't blame Irma. These are these are the type of hotels that you see. This is like what Holden Caulfield stayed in and and (laughs) that the the motel that scarred him for life. Like, yeah. Places where people go it in in movies and in books when when they've hit rock bottom, or so, where people want to just like, you know, have a quickie in the middle of the day. Absolutely. So this is what <laughs> you see actually on SVU all the time. Yeah, that's where they like take you know the Johns for a quick, you know, rendezvous. I don't know. Yeah, and this is definitely one of the many places you can get sex trafficked in 2020. I was so- trying to figure out where in LA they were. Like I do genuinely love looking at old LA before I moved here and like what it used to look like and what the neighborhoods that I've been to look like. Maybe like Clawson, like that area cuz it's like the swap meet area. Yeah, at some point I did see a 7th Street sign, so I don't know how far down 7th Street they were, but yeah, definitely like maybe oh. that's in LA area. Yeah, like I think before we moved here, like above, like anything below Venice sort of looked like that. Yeah. Um. So Teresa tells her, you know, listen, 
have a good attitude about it. They were at least nice enough to throw in dinner. And Irma's like, a six-pack of curry burritos isn't dinner. Um, <laughs> and she would have rather eaten her coat. So they get into the room, and it's it's quite depressing. We're going to play 5139 to 5353. This place just screams for a decorator. Come on. Let's go back to your place. I'm sure Danny has forgotten everything already. Come back here. You didn't hit him that hard. Besides, go back there now. You'll probably kill both of us. Guess you know better than I do. Why you even want to know him at all, I can't imagine. Well, you'd know why if you ever tried to make it on your own. You can't expect a man to come along and solve all your problems. That's the Prince Charming syndrome. Oh, yeah? Well, while we're analyzing me, what about you? Me? If you're not the Sleeping Beauty Syndrome, then I'm Snow White. There is more to life than money, Teresa. Oh, please. Why do rich people always say that? You know, everybody doesn't have it as easy as you. I'll have you know I worked for a living. I was a receptionist. Yeah. For how long? Six months. I married the boss, but I could have made it on my own anyhow. And you could too. You could go out there and get a perfectly good job. Oh, yeah. I could learn how to type. Ooh, wouldn't that be something? What's so terrible about learning how to type? Oh, Irma, give me a break. Look, I am not interested in getting by. I want to be somebody. Get a job. Get a job is just what they tell you when they want to keep you down. There is only one way to make it, and it's not by working. Yeah, well, Walter did. He started out with absolutely nothing. He went out there and got a job, and look where he is today. Oh, well, fine. Maybe Walter did earn his money, but you didn't. You married it. So what? So don't go looking down on me for taking up with Danny. You know, I could go out on the street and be a hooker, and it would be the same as what you did, only you made more money. That is the rottenest thing anybody ever said to me. done something you're very ashamed about, haven't you? Oh, I saw it on Monique last week. It's oh. the I'm not okay, you're not okay syndrome. But people who say they're really upset and ashamed about it, they take their self-hatred out on others. Well, don't you start doing that to me, okay? Okay, 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 okay! And I'm not gonna eat this without a hot plate either! So... There's a lot of cringe about this scene in real life. Like this is, yeah. it was, I have to be honest, like as a white woman who did not grow up aware of my privilege, it was very like sobering for me because, you know, up, I mean, through my like late twenties and, and even early thirties, I never saw the fact that I had an unpaid internship in college as as big of a deal as it really is and there was the program that I was in I would um all of the I worked with it was me and then it was like three uh three black women who had the same internship as me and they got paid for theirs and I didn't and I remember thinking like that's like not that it was unfair that they got paid because I wasn't worried about money at the time now I'm sort right. of like retrospectively, I look back and I'm really glad that they were making money that summer. But, you know, like the concept of an unpaid internship to me was like, well, you know, if you if you want to get ahead, like these are the things you have to do. And looking back, I didn't realize that it was my privilege that put me in the place to have 
the unpaid internship that I did. And that it was my privilege that my stepdad, basically my family never paid for anything for college. Really. My mom gave me a hundred dollars a month as my allowance for college. And my junior year, um, that was sort of my version of going abroad was coming out to LA and having an internship for two months at New Line Cinema. And I, it didn't occur to me fully how incredibly lucky I was to have that opportunity and how my privilege 100% got me there. And this is that argument that I'm watching where it's like, you know, you can say like, well, Teresa, you probably should learn how to type. I mean, little do you know in the future, that's going to be an an essential part of just living. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, her not realizing, Irma not realizing that, you know, not everyone gets to work for six months as a receptionist, marry their boss, and then never worry about money again. Well, and also I think that like the pipeline for girls like Irma was probably, she probably went to secretary school and learned how to type on a typewriter. You know what I mean? And like, you know, a lot of women went to secretary school back in those days so that they could get a husband. A lot of women did what Irma did. Right. Um, but like that was, you know, who could be in the office, you know, often the secretary was like the face of the office. And so like, you know, black and other women of color were not going to get those opportunities and they were not going to be encouraged to go to even just go to secretary school. So, yeah, there's a lot of systemic things that, you know, probably ended up being the reason why Teresa doesn't have those skill sets. <laughs> it's just so embarrassing to watch something like this retrospectively thinking about sort of the, oh, well, you know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps sort Mm -hmm. of thing. That like sense of like false having worked for everything that you have, I think, when you come from a middle class lifestyle. Like we were at middle class growing up, especially like looking back, I'm like, oh my God, my mom telling us we were middle class is probably (laughs) protecting us from how broke we were. But like, you know, just like the connections that we had, like that, that in and of itself was like, it's such a form of privilege. And I had, you know, been told to tell myself a story that I told myself without a problem that this was, you know, the hard work that you put in. I had told, I completely lied to myself about that because I was instructed to, and I, often, you know, throughout my life, I've had a hard time sort of challenging what I'm told to do. And it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, we're sort of conditioned to believe that, especially in this country too, right? With the idea of the American dream is that, you know, we all start off on the ground floor and that's simply not true, you know, and it's a lack of self-awareness that some people are on the ground floor. Some people do start there and some people are in the subterranean basement below the ground floor and that it takes even for us, you know, major effort to even get to the ground floor. Right. Right. Yeah. And we're all Uh, just trying to make it to the penthouse and there's only so many people in that penthouse, you know, so many people allowed in that penthouse. The other thing I was thinking about when I was watching this scene is how my grandmother was a teacher at like a public high school when I was, up until I was probably like four or five. And my grandmother would sometimes bring me to school with her because my mom didn't have a babysitter. So I would like sit in the back of the classroom while my grandmother was teaching or sometimes- Well, Molly, 
Oh yeah. Sometimes other teachers would take me in and like, I was looking back on it and thinking about how some of the kids would always be like giving me like little winks or whatever, or how my grandmother would tell right on the board, like a message that I didn't know how to read. And I was thinking about it looking back and the message was probably something like, if she talks, don't talk to her. <laughs> and it was like, I would like pipe up in the back of the class and like, you'd turn around and all these like, like girls would be like winking at me and like making cute faces. And my grandmother was like, <laughs> not engage with her. But one of the classes that I remember she dropped me off at once was like a typing class. Oh yeah. And I wondered when they started teaching that in public high schools, because I remember obviously taking keyboarding, which I'm yeah. sure you took too. I, I took electronic English. <laughs> Yeah. And that was like such a thing where like, you know, like the whole goal was to get like your minutes, your words yeah. per minute up. It was like all about, it was all about that. And yeah. <laughs> looking back, it's like crazy to think that there was times where like people would not be taught how to use a keyboard because even using a typewriter, it's similar. And that's yeah. such a, the ability to write like in a way that's not handwriting. It seems like such a basic tool. And I can't believe that they didn't teach that in schools till a certain age. Well, yeah. And it is like when someone doesn't have that skill set, it is like a detriment to their ability to excel in their careers. Because I remember, you know, my mom did go to secretary school. So she was very good at typing uh, very fast. And she basically types like a millennial. You know, she's just been at it all her life. My dad, on the other hand, was very much like the hunt and peck method to the point yeah. where like when he had to type up his reports for work like she would my mom would do it for him just because it would go so much faster <laughs> yeah, it does feel like a form of like not illiteracy but it feels like you're being like blocked from something that is so necessary for language yeah and oh my god so well, wait, i mean i, I even think about like you know typing up emails when you're corresponding in a corporate setting and stuff like that totally totally yeah. or just even using your iphone i mean i told you um i just signed up for this app which i haven't gotten a call for yet and it does seem like so many people have signed up for it that it could be quite a while till i get my first call but i told you about the app be my eyes right right yes and it's so cool so you get on this app and right now there's 250,000 um, blind people or people that there's also people that use it that are illiterate or people that, you know, um, just basically people that might need help with certain certain things. And there's over four million volunteers on this app, which is amazing. Um, but basically, like you can get a call from someone who is having trouble with the grocery list or maybe a blind person that doesn't know if their shirt is buttoned up all the way or if their outfit matches and they will call you and you basically have like a little video call with them about whatever it is that they need help with. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, that's amazing. It is. I'm I'm so excited for when I get my first call. Like I'm honestly thrilled. Um, and maybe you guys, you know, obviously don't so many of you download it that I never get a call, but I would say feel feel free to sign up for that because it's really great. And I think a lot of us are at home looking for ways to help other people that's safe right now. And that's definitely one of them. So yeah, um, Teresa calls a travel agency to confirm a trip to Acapulco in the morning. And then we see um, they I was trying to figure out why they picked Acapulco for this. 
Because I think that it sounds like at the time, like Hawaii, Acapulco, like those places sounded really just foreign. Like it's like, yeah. oh, it's like a sandy beach. Like, I mean, I've, I definitely would say Acapulco has taken a, um, uh, just like in pop culture, like a downturn and sort of that we don't hear about it a lot. But I think at the time, it's like a fun word to say. It sounds, you know, it sounds foreign. It sounds luxurious. It sounds like a place where you go get a tan and a drink. And and I think in the in the eighties and nineties, yeah, like it's a therapy. it's a city it's a city that would get name checked name checked in Kokomo. Exactly, one hundred. I was just gonna say it's like Kokomo. That's ex- literally Christina. <laughs> you stole the words out of my mouth. So, um, Bermuda, Jamaica. We find out that. Um, Teresa has signed up for the two of them to become maids in the morning. And what they're going to do is they're going to become maids so that they can go into her house and get the jewels that they need to start their life on the run. This was confusing to me. Why? Because Clara is their live-in maid. Right. But they they, they still had and that was the whole thing she talked about having a maid versus having a maid service, which is what Morgan Fairchild's character has. Right. So she has a maid service even though she has a maid? No, she doesn't she doesn't use the maid service normally, which is why there's so much confusion when she when Walter gets home and when all the maids come in and Claire's like, What the fuck is going on? Right, right, right. They just booked a cleaning for the summer's house so that they could have an excuse to get to the house. And right, right, right. I personally did not expect Irma to be a part of the cleaning crew, but um, I thought Teresa was just going to go rogue and do it by herself. But we get, of course, we get some hijinks up in here. So Teresa, yes. um, uh, we also skipped over the fact that she got a perm during this time. Oh, no, I think that's just her natural hair. She never blow out. <laughs> that's because like that's her thing is like she will will look at herself in the mirror later on at her house and be like I look so common and it's because she's not wearing makeup and she's wearing her natural hair <laughs> like um but yeah so Irma arrives um in the van of maids and she doesn't realize like oh she has to clean a house before she can get to her house in the afternoon so the boss puts her on toilet duty and then Walter and Gilbert arrive to the credit department at the department store, which is what we were referencing earlier. And Walter says he didn't know why he didn't think about this earlier. I mean, Irma left a trail behind her like a slug with a go-kart. <laughs> that seemed like another Joan line to me. Um, for sure. So the, wo- the woman in front of them is declined for a credit card because you can only get credit if you have credit. And then Walter asks what his wife bought the day before. And the woman who's working the desk reluctantly looks it up. And it turns out that it's a queen size sofa that's being delivered today to uh, 6711 Yucca, which is a neighborhood. Like, that's like sort of an area. Like, especially when you first move to LA and you're like looking at Craigslist spots or whatever, you wind up pulling up to a lot of the places that it looks like um, Teresa and Danny live in where you sort of go to this building and especially if you're not used to SoCal real estate, did you, did you feel the same sort of like depression I felt when I was moved, like pulling up to apartments that were in my price range and I realized that they were places like that building? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was just, the housing experience here is just so fascinating. (laughs) You know, I think um, that's why I landed on Koreatown because, like, it did seem to have some charm, even though it wasn't like 
the best area, it seemed to have more charm than some of those buildings that just look like sort of flat. Yeah. Yeah. I think in general, it took some time to get used to because, you know, I come from New York where it's like all pre-war apartments and, and stuff like that and railroad, railroad houses. Yeah. Um, and so like, oh, you don't have to get through a room to get to another room. Amazing. I have a dishwasher. Amazing. Um, I have a trash like a trash chute is a different concept to me. I used to have to drag go downstairs and drag my cr- trash into an alley. Um, so yeah, they're in the California real estate. Wondered like what the breakdown is when like three guys move into an apartment like that together to split the rent. Like who gets the back bedroom? Is the back bedroom the best bedroom or is it the worst? Because in some ways you don't want people walking through your room, but you also don't want to have to walk through three rooms to get to your room in a railroad. Yep. Yeah. Or to like the bathroom, you know, I have to go through another room to get to the bathroom. I don't know. They have places like that in New Orleans too. That's where my friend was like, she recently like was living in one and I was like, God, that is so spooky to me to have to walk through a sleeping person's bedroom Mm -hmm. to use the kitchen it's weird and like the sex that happens and just like also the awareness of how everyone keeps their space (laughs) like if I you know when I had a roommate and if I were to have a roommate the last thing I would want to do is see how the other people in the apartment are living in their individual room (laughs) why is that because I like the protection of not necessarily knowing what's going on in there. Like, I like to lie to myself. And if I can tell myself that whatever's going on in there is just fine and normal, then I will lie to myself like that. I but get I, it. Hate, I hate being, I hate seeing something that I can't unsee. <laughs> and then, of course, you know me, like, I go through like visual mental hoops. So, like, right, I would, right, right, right. I would be imagining chaos all the time. Absolutely. I see one ant in a room and then I'm convinced that like there's they're living in like an, a pile of ants and <laughs> that's going to come that's going to bleed into my space any day now. Christina, we just took a fiver and I feel like right now is a perfect time to ask you, can you do Megan the Stallion's like ah noise that she does? No, I can't. Try it. <laughs> eh. I tried it today. It was like you know i realized I can, do, I can do beyonce's like okay oh yeah okay okay yeah okay. we can do that but like i didn't realize how much talent okay. just goes into the <laughs> that's a lot of talent <laughs> megan's very talented but that in and of itself is possibly <laughs> an underrated talent of hers so well, that's like that's like cardi's ew you know ew. Yeah. So um, get a bucket and a mop. That song really is so good. It's so good. (laughs) And what shocked me was I didn't realize that I knew all of the lyrics until probably two nights ago. And like, that's just how I mean, that's intense. I had no idea. I knew every word to that song. (laughs) What's your favorite? You know, when you realize that about yourself? That you're like singing along with a song and you're like, wait a minute. I know all the words. <laughs> that definitely happens to me with, oh gosh, why am I blanking on this guy's name? Uh, gosh. Oh man. Ed, Ed she- Sheeran. Uh-huh. I'm always surprised when I know like an Ed Sheeran song front to back, but it's like so like 
it's all over the place. Those songs get all over the place that like, yeah. even if you were actively trying not to hear them, you would still listen because it's like at the grocery store or at the time, well, you know, when you go, <laughs> when you go to the grocery store, the once every two weeks for some people. Yeah. No, I it's it is osmosis for sure. And then also. This is a question. It's totally random. But every time I go to Trader Joe's, all of the employees are singing and like half of the customers are singing. And I'm wondering if it's the (laughs) songs they play at Trader Joe's or if it's just the way people let themselves go at Trader Joe's. Because I caught myself and three other women singing in Trader Joe's one time and in the same aisle. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why do we all know the words to this song and we're all just singing in public? I see I wear headphones all the time so I'm completely oblivious as to what's going on in the Trader Joe's music selection. Are they playing Savage at Trader Joe's? No, but I like to keep it raw dog when I'm at Trader Joe's. Like I like to keep my ears open cuz sometimes you see fights. One time I saw a lady fake a slip and fall and that was iconic. I've never <laughs> I don't that's something you only see in movies and then I got to see it with my own eyes. It was How incredible. did she do it? It was Christina. It was incredible. And I was on the phone with Ed and I was like, Ed, I just saw a woman at Vegas up and ball. He's like, are you sure she didn't fall? I was like, Ed, I've never, I can never tell you more certainly that I, I just saw what I just saw. Like there was like, there was like really nothing on the floor. Like she just like, she sort of, she sort of slow-mo tumbled backwards in a way. And like, this old Armenian lady like locked eyes with me and just like rolled her eyes. And I was like, wh- I was like, oh, so we all just really saw that. Like we just saw a woman totally fake a slip and fall. And like everyone who worked at Trader Joe's was like, oh, ma'am, do you need help? Like knowing that she so did not need help. Oh, my gosh. It was like, it she, was did she like put like squeeze something on the floor and slip on it or was she just straight up? No, it just was like, it was like she, it was like she was willing something to exist there that did not exist there. And like the way she fell was so slow-mo that like no one who genuinely falls would ever fall that slow. (laughs) Like there's no way that that would hold up in court. It looked like she was like literally set in slow motion on like 0.25 speed. Someone asked me this the other day, but if you saw someone shoplifting in a store, do you, would you say something? Like, no. Would you- <laughs> no, unless unless it was like so blatant that I couldn't or like it was a mom and pop store. If it was a mom and pop store, I would probably say something yeah. not to the person, but to the cashier. But, you know, one time when I was a child, I saw an old lady put two bananas in her purse at the grocery store <laughs> and it just was like. It was the first time that I'd ever seen someone do something like that. Yeah. And something about it set my soul free. Cause like I knew which I knew like, you know, it wasn't like a, a dementia moment. I knew it wasn't like anything like that. I, I I knew it was an old lady who probably didn't have the money for the two bananas. Yeah. And so yeah. she put them in her purse. And again, this sort of like leans into a little bit of like the capitalism thing that we brought up at the top of the pod, which is like these Gen Z kids love stealing. They love stealing. They all call it borrowing. They go to like the, you know, the big stores, like people will post on there. They'll be like, I worked at Claire's and they fucked me over. So here are the things you can steal from Claire's. (laughs) These Gen Z kids are so unbelievably lit up. Their brains are on another level. Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely like, don't give a fuck about a lot of things that we, no, <laughs> you no. know, 
all the social norms that us as millennials were taught by boomers to like obey they were raised by Gen Xers who were like, fuck it. You know what I mean? And so they were just like, also, they're just open to like other shit that like we just didn't, we didn't have that on our radar. But anyway. Yeah, like we came to accept a little bit later in our adulthood. Yeah. So, okay. So to pick up back where the movie is, Walter's just gotten the address for where the couch is being delivered. And he goes to the address with his friend Gilbert. Um, and Walter's very confused when he gets there. Like, he's like, what would she be doing at a place like this? So he uses the complex phone to call the apartment number, but because he's bad at buttons, he has like no patience or understanding <laughs> for how to use a building's call system like that. Yeah. There's no answer. And Gilbert asks him how long he can get, um, how long until he can get a missing person's report. First thing tomorrow, he says, and he goes, that's soon, huh? Um, and Walter's not picking up on the fact that <laughs> Gilbert clearly doesn't uh, clearly doesn't care if his wife lives or dies. So he tells Walter to head home. He looks exhausted and he'll give him a call later. And Gilbert takes off and Walter's still standing outside the building when he hears a guy calling for help. It's Danny. And he recognizes him right away. And he's like, wait, don't I know you? And he's like, oh, a lot of people confuse me with Arsenio. Anyway, help me carry this couch out. So <laughs> he put the couch out on the street. I could see how that could be. You know what totally, I mean? 100%. No question. He does sort of look like Arsenio. Um, <laughs> I so- also just think that like at that era that, that he was like the most famous black man. And so like white people would probably confuse a lot of black people for Arsenio Hall. <laughs> Yeah, this was definitely a time in the country when people did not bother to notice the difference between like black people or Asian people. That was always a thing. It was like just it still happens to a lot of like white people. Yeah, no, you're right. It probably it does still happen. It, yeah. yeah, like any ask ask any two black dudes who work at, who work together, like how often they're confused for each other. Um. So. We see now we cut back from that, from him helping uh, Danny carry the couch out to the maids arriving at uh, Joan's house, uh, Irma's house. And Clara doesn't know what the hell's going on. And the maids all sort of file in and Irma covers her face with a mop. Then we cut back to Walter and Danny sitting outside on the sidewalk. And there's a sign on the sofa that says sofa, $500. So we're going to play 59.22 to one hour and forty. One and so I figured the little hustler's just trying to get money out of your wife. But when I tried to stop her, she hit me over my head and took off. Wow. You, you don't think she'd do anything to hurt her, my dear? I bet you'd do just about anything to get that little woman back, wouldn't you? You mean like a reward? No, I mean like money. How much? A thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. Is that all she's worked to you? I can go too. I can go too. Man, some women spend that much on one dress. <laughs> Telling me. I tell you what I'm gonna do. I will find your wife for you. Five thousand dollars. How does it sound? Oh, five thousand. Oh, oh. Yeah. Five thousand. That's reasonable, huh? Don't you worry about a thing. Just go home and relax. You call me. I've got your number. Okay. 
incredible. Um, (laughs) I would say that Walter did take that assertiveness class, but also he might have just been born with it as a white man because he's like, truly, he's making to a thousand dollars seem like it means it's going to make or break him. Like he's like, oh, a thousand dollars to find my, I don't know, man. Like he, (laughs) God, people are so good at lying. Like I I could never, like I could never be like, I couldn't even fake like ha- like what that would mean to me if someone said that. Like it would either it would just come out of me like, oh, no big deal. Or like, oh, I can't afford that. But there's no in between where I'm sort of hemming and hawing. I would never know how to fake that in real life. Yeah, totally. I I, I just think that um, there's also something to Walter. Is he's like he fosters. Like him, him and uh, Danny build a camaraderie sitting on that couch together. I love it. <laughs> I love, I love it because, like, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there's something about the summers, Irma and Walter, that I just feel good about them. Like, I feel like they are just out to like they're good people, and I feel like Danny and Teresa also good people. Like, I feel like they've all kind of got each other's back in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very fascinating. It almost I, makes me wish that the summers had started out middle class or something and that these sort of friendships were more natural for them to find because I feel like they could hang like they're not bad rich white people. I think they definitely have room to grow because uh, yeah, I, I st- yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't I don't particularly like Irma's uh, relationship with her maid. Uh, right. But I think definitely they she's gone on a journey by the end of this movie. For sure. Um, so with the cleaning crew at the <laughs> Summer's house, Teresa's in the master bedroom looking for jewelry, but she can only find candy in the jewelry box. So Walter winds up coming in and there's maids all over the house and he's confused about what's going on. Irma, can I ask getting- you a question real quick? It's been a yeah. while since I've had to record one of these. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm sure your fans are so upset that I'm doing it on your podcast. No, um, <laughs> I know. I'm just joking. Um, have you changed positions at all? Like while we've been recording this, aside from the break that we took, because I'm just like struggling to. Maybe it's because I'm bisexual and I can't sit in a chair properly. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just like right now, I've hit a point where I'm like struggling to find like what the comfortable position is. And I've, 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 uh, we've been we're at the like probably two hour mark right now. Um, mm-hmm. so like you know, bless you for being able to do these marathons re- recording sessions. I'm just curious as to like what your seating situation is right now. Cause we're not facing each other. Well, it, it always depends. I, I don't have a problem sitting for this podcast because I think that it's just in my bones at this point to, I have a muscle memory from just sitting in one spot doing these podcasts at this point. But, um, Right now, currently, I'm recording this episode in my bed. I usually record in my bed in, or in the office at my desk. And I find that my desk is a little bit harder to sit at because you get that like desk body. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm at right now is I have like three Tempur-Pedic pillows stacked up on each other. And then my heating pad is up against that. And I have my legs crossed with my shrimp neck pillow on my left knee and I'm balancing the computer on that and then my microphone is is just plugged into the side of my computer and I'm holding it I'm actually in a pretty relaxed position the only thing that hurts is my neck but that's because it's always hurting 
Oh, my gosh. Okay. It's always a low-level pain. But that's – um, yeah, no, I am I mean, I'm fine. But, yeah, no, this is – and we're actually, like, making good pacing on this movie. And it's yeah. because – like, do you see how much we get done in a minute in this movie? In other Lifetime movies, that scene that we just saw between Danny and Walter would have taken five minutes. It would have been a five-minute scene in a, any other movie. But the pacing in this movie is great, which is why I feel comfortable sort of planting so many one-minute clips throughout yeah. it. Because it just it gets I'm, – I'm so pleased with the effectiveness of this film. So, so I think it's actually interesting that you say that because I felt like this was the part of the movie that started to drag for me a little bit. And I did like my first viewing of this movie because I did watch it twice. My first viewing of this movie did happen in kind of chunks because I was just like in and out of it. Um, so it's interesting that you're – like I do feel like it started really fast, but this this part started dragging for me a little bit. I think I only feel that way because I know what's coming up. So like, right. Maybe when I was watching it, I was a little bit confused about where it was going, but because I know these movies so well by now to know that we are at the one hour and 38 second mark right now, I, I kind of know where we are in like the, the bigger picture of a movie of the week or a lifetime movie. Yeah. So we've only got, you know, um, about, 29 minutes of this movie left um, yeah. which for a lifetime movie typically where I find myself around the two hour mark is usually about 30 35 to 45 minutes in and yeah. then I don't play clips and then the last like you know 20 minutes we play a lot of clips but um yeah the pacing of this is really fun for me okay um cool. But yeah, so Walter comes in, there's maids all over the house, and Irma is getting her jewels out of her little hiding spots. And she shows um, Teresa how she hides all of them all over the house. She shows that her necklace that Barbara Bush wanted to get uh, get right off of her <laughs> neck last time she was in the White House is inside of a, a book. She has like a little ceramic cat that she has all of her rings tied to a string inside of. Like, it really did feel like, as you were sort of referencing earlier, like that depression era hiding that people yes. like to do. Um, but yeah, Joan sees her hair in the vanity and she can't believe how common she looks. Just one day out of the house and her looks are already ruined. Um, <laughs> then we cut to Gilbert, who's at his house burying the massage pillow in his yard when he gets a call from Walter. And he asks him if he found Irma yet. And he says that he ran into someone who's seen her and that Irma ran off with a low life street hustler. <laughs> So, oh my gosh. Which is probably how Danny described Teresa because Danny's throwing Teresa under the bus right now, too. We have to remember Danny's just as much as a scumbag as Walter is in the grand scheme of things. Can we take so, a moment to appreciate how Thelma, I think that's how you pronounce her name, is playing Teresa as just like there's just something like warm and kind in the in her interactions with Irma. And she really like commits to this character who you know, has some like uh, problematic ways of how she acquires like the way that she lives. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, part of a larger issue. But I just think that the actress does such a good job of making the, uh, Teresa like a warm and per inviting person to like where you want them to be friends. You want you want it to be genuine, too. And well, I think yeah. like I think they like played off each other really well. Like I think both Joan like it felt it felt like a, they did a good job about selling this friendship and their camaraderie. I agree. I agree because there's a little push and pull where you realize that you know 
Irma is more invested in this friendship than you would have thought. And it's almost heartbreaking to think that Teresa is still willing to scam her based off of how far we seem to have come. And yeah. like, I actually struggled with Teresa's deception. If I'm going to be honest, I, I kind of struggled with it because I was like, Teresa, you can't be serious. Like Irma would obviously like help you out without a thought for the rest of your life if you just chose to be her friend. But instead, we're still doing this jewel heist thing. And it was kind of killing me inside a little bit. Um, but oh, yeah, no, I thought they did a really good job of sort of portraying Teresa's warmth and also, you know, I, I, I yeah, I think there was a really good push pull here in a, in a way, like yeah. where you saw both of their personality faults and like the, the great aspects of them as well. Right. Cause they like tried to get stuff out of each other. Like there are things that Teresa was trying with Irma, like showing her genuine care. Right. Um, yeah. and then there was ways that Irma was trying to help Teresa too. Right. And I think that it, both of them, it came from a place of getting what they want, but also love. Yeah. It's so weird, like to say that because like you would assume that you can't want something of someone that you love purely, but that is sort of a little bit how human nature works. I think. Totally. Totally. Like if you, um, you can't help but spend time with someone like that, even if you're deceiving them or at least maybe that's just the person Teresa is yeah, without like, well, caring about them a little bit. You know, you start like. It has a little bit of like a college roommates quality to each other where it's like, you're like, whether you actually like that person or not, you guys are in this moment together and there's nothing better you can do than just try and make it work. And in that you sort of form a like foxhole mentality. Right. They're in the trenches together. Totally. Um, so, yeah, you know, Gil Gilbert's burying this pillow. He's trying to find out if Irma is anywhere to be seen. And he says that he ran into the low life street, the guy, low life street hustler, blah, blah, blah. So Gil tells her, uh, tells him to call him when he finds her. And Walter tells him that he's so lucky to have him. What a good friend he has. And like that sort of is interesting because Gil thinks Walter is his Teresa. <laughs> And vice versa. So Irma continues to pull jewels from the master bedroom when Walter comes in. And um, let's play this clip. 10407 to 10627. Huh? Ooh. Is this all of it? Are you kidding? The best stuff's under the bed. Come on. Uh, excuse me. Uh, would you go clean in another room? I want to get ready to take a shower. Uh... Capasa, nah. You be back half hour, okay? And you clean then. Okay. Excuse me. Have I seen you before? I know Comprendo. Yes. Who? Whoa. All right, what are you doing here? Walter, I just knew you must be lonely. Oh, lonely? I, the place is crawling with women. What oh, are you doing? Oh, Walter, don't be coy. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, hey, oh, I got that silly tree to cut down. Those squirrels keep going up in the attic. Oh, Walter, you're such an animal. Not only cut down trees to prove their virility, it's that phallic fantasy syndrome. Darling, your fantasies oh. are over. I am here. Oh. Miss! What are you doing? Yo no comprendo! Oh. I've been married 30 years. I'm taking Loretta. Walter! 30 years of caged passion. I gotta go to the post office. Walter! 
I just want you to know you can have me whenever you want me. I'll beg, I'll crawl. Honey, what is your problem? Walter! Oh, shit. Haven't I seen you somewhere before? No, no, I'm just temporary. Huh. Gee, you know, she looks familiar, too. Oh, I know what it is. She has a big, fat rear end, just like Irma. Big. Well, clean, honey. I've never been so insulted since Walter's mother said I look like her. <laughs> that was you a Joan know, line. That had totally to a Joan line. Totally a Joan line. And, and what you guys didn't see is that she came after her with the gigantic stuffed sheep, which is similar to the stuffed sheeps that they have on their front lawn. <laughs> Um, oh, one thing I want to note for the people who are watching but maybe haven't seen the movie, which probably happens a lot. Um, Walter is played by this actor who was in The Godfather, but he also played Jennifer Lopez's father in The Wedding Planner. That's so, right. Yes. So if his voice sounds familiar, that's why. Um. So here's my question for you. What <laughs> I you mentioned this on Twitter. Jennifer Lopez played an Italian woman in that movie. <laughs> She did. She sure yeah. did. Um, you know, she's got the range, baby. Um, now, here's <laughs> my here's my question for you. What do you think Loretta's endgame was here? Like, part of me was like, did Gil send her in? And then I'm also like, why would she be going for Walter? Is it for the money? Like, what do you think Loretta's endgame was with trying to get with Walter? I I was so this is what confused me about the overarching plot entirely like because i wasn't sure like was this couple in cahoots with each other to like screw over this other couple or was um you know irma's friend what was her name sorry what's morgan fairtrow's character's name loretta was loretta in it like just trying to scam not even realizing what her husband was into and just kind of trying to scam this angle now that you know the friend was out of the picture. I'm, I I was unclear on that. I think she's just like a hussy. Like, I think she's just like a money grubbing hussy. Well, obviously she wasn't Irma's friend because she thought she had a big ass. Or maybe you can, you can think your friend has a big ass and not, not say anything to her in her own house. She literally turns. Now I'm like, what do my friends think of my ass? I've Um, never talked about your ass. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've never been like, oh, Christina's big ass. I've <laughs> never said that in my life. Although I wouldn't be mad if one of my friends said I had a flat ass as long as they said it to me first. Like, I definitely <laughs> have found out that someone I thought was my friend was talking about my body to another friend. And then that other friend was a good enough friend to come to me and say something. And it was ve- honestly, I said to my friends, like, if I was in your position, I probably wouldn't have said anything, but it means the world to me that you are a good enough person to say something. Because in my younger years, I probably would have thought like, oh, you don't need to repeat bad things that other people are saying to each other. Yeah. Like, you don't need to repeat something negative that someone else said about you. But like the bigger picture of what that comment that was made about me was was implying about who this person was to me was something that should have gotten back to me that is some Mm -hmm. that was like a hard truth I needed to hear that's always hard to navigate you know when to report back but ultimately I think it's like if this person isn't being a bad friend 
Also, like, that woman who said that was in no position to speak about my body. So I'll just say that. <laughs> and then let's move on. Yeah, okay. Let's move um, on. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, point yeah. is, you don't talk about your friend's bods. Don't, yeah. Right? Like, don't talk about anyone's body. Like, don't don't ever talk about something that someone can't help. Like, bottom line. That's so weird. Um, So that night, Irma and Teresa are at a nightclub. And this is their big celebratory night because they got all the jewels. They're killing it. This is obviously not the polo lounge in Beverly Hills that Irma's probably used to going to. It's right. It's like a, a flamenco bar. Is that what you would call a bar like that? <laughs> I don't know. It was, I was like, where were they? I was trying to figure out what it was. Like, it seemed like, yeah, it was like a. It was like a dance club, but it's it like was- it's like back in the day when people used to say they went out dancing, like that's where they would go. Like totally, those places. like they, you don't like- really say that anymore, right? It's just like because if you go dancing or whatever, like now it's like I don't even know what that is. Like that's most clubs- where your dad and mom met, right? Yeah, remember- like yeah, they met at a salsa club. And your dad didn't ask your mom to dance until like the last dance. And she yeah. was like, why is this man asking every other girl but me? And then he finally <laughs> and then they got married. So she said she was like, she was like, because you saved the best for last. It is true. Her. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. No one finer yeah. than Diana Lopez at that club. It's Dirty true. Diana, Dirty Diana 100. That's my girl. So <laughs> um. Anyway. Yeah, they used to go out dancing. We were just talking about that the other day. I, Mom and I had a long talk. You know, sometimes you get into those places emotionally. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, she was recalling that first date with me. Um, and it was just like, yeah, that was a thing that they did back then. They would go out dancing. You know, they would go to salsa clubs. They would go, you know, I don't know. They were. It was in the 70s. So they like did the hustle or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. back when people like actually danced. At the discotheque, baby. Yes. So I think like that that was that place like when like older people in their 30s and 40s in their 40s and 50s were like, oh, let's go out dancing. It's like, you know, some sort of place that still existed like that. Yeah, that's and really also cute. like remember when we can get into a crowd of people like <laughs> I guess me going dancing now is like going to a gay club. On Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. Like if yeah. someone said to me, let's go dancing like I'd take them to WeHo. Like yeah, I would sure. never like there's no like hot underground straight dance club in yeah. <laughs> so um maybe I'm wrong let me know but um yeah so they're at the nightclub and Irma's you know drowning in her sorrows to this bartender but he's actually listening to her and he says you know based off of what he's hearing he sa- sounds like empty nest syndrome to him so Teresa comes up to her and asks her why she's so down she's supposed to be celebrating so Teresa pulls her out to the dance floor uh you know because there's this a lot of a sweet moment who are worse off than her. Yeah, it was a true, honestly, this scene was like the truest sort of a not movie of the week moment where they actually like sort of luxuriated for a, a couple minutes in this like dance space. And, you know, Teresa's trying to get her to move her hips. And and she's like, I haven't moved my hips like this since Robert was born. And I was like, <laughs> where's Robert in all of this? Like, yeah, right? So um, you know, they're dancing and Teresa's like, there's something wrong with this picture. So she does like a, a whistle and this hot guy comes running over to dance with her. And, you know, they're just tearing the floor up. So then we see Danny is calling a travel agency at his apartment and he has a hole in his sock, which it was just such like I was like, oh, you are such a straight bachelor with your fucking thumb toe popping out like your big ass <laughs> toe popping out. So he says that his wife made a reservation, but she forgot to tell him which airline. Her name is Irma Summers. 
Um, Irma and Teresa return to the hotel and Irma tells Teresa she's so much more fun than Loretta. Loretta only danced to shake her big fat sailor, which I've never heard an ass referred to as that. But um, Irma said that when they sell the jewelry, she wants Teresa to have half of the money because she's done so much for her. And Teresa's like, I haven't done anything for you that anybody, anybody else wouldn't do. And Irma says, that's not true. Someone else would have taken advantage of me. You know what you are? You're my first true friend. Oh, you can tell Teresa feels a little bit bad and she tells her to go to sleep and she'll take the chair tonight because last night Irma slept on the chair. I felt Joan really sold that moment. Oh, 100%. And then it was so cute because they're singing. Um, Not girls just want to have fun. They're singing. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. And Joan goes, you ever sleep in leather? Watch me. And she like she like gets in bed in her little yeah. miniskirt and she throws her sheets on and they, she really did seem like a woman that was feeling like a girl for the first yeah. time in a long time. And yeah. it just like, it really like, it made me want to take a girl's trip if I'm being honest, because I was just like, God, I miss those moments that you have with your friends where all of a sudden you just feel so caught up in like just the excitement of what's going on that you like completely forget that you're like an adult who has to go do like real stuff. You know, you on the other side mm-hmm. of this vacation, you have to go do real stuff. But for right now, you're like a girl again. And that's or like, like, you don't, or that excitement that you feel when you're like learning about a new friend and getting deeper with a new friend. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, we're like sisters now. Yeah. Like, has that energy. So, Walter grabs a present on his way out the door the next day um, and he's going to the wedding and he tells uh, he gets a call. He picks it up and it's someone named Wolfie and Wolfie asks him if he got his message and he says no. And he goes, you know, oh, wait, what was wrong with the brakes? Walter looks shocked to find out that the brakes had been drained. This is the first he's heard of this. So he peels out of his driveway and Gil, who was ducked down in his convertible pulls into the driveway and breaks into the house and he starts looking around for the gun. Then we're going to go to the motel where Irma and Teresa are staying to find out that Teresa is gone and so are all of the jewels. This scene is 111.24 to 114.09. So we start off in the house with Gil and then we're going to hear the scene of uh, Irma waking up to find that Teresa's gone. Hello. Uh, yeah. Oh, hi, Wolfie. Yeah, this is Mr. Summers. Listen, I'm late for a wedding. I don't know why I'm going to a wedding, but can I call you back later? No, I didn't get your message. Oh, so what was wrong with the brakes? Drained? Are you sure, Wolfie? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, hey, 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 Walt. This is Danny. 
look, I, I think I'm gonna need a little expense money. It looks like your better half is taking off for Acapulco. Yeah, uh, well, I'll talk to you later. Danny, hi. This is Walter. You, you, you sound different, Walt. You uh, must be a bad connection. Uh, Danny, uh, I've been thinking it over, and uh, I've come to a conclusion. I don't want Irma back. Emma, you know what I'm saying? No. I want you to kill her, Danny. <laughs> How does $25,000 strike you? Damn, Walt, I, I don't know. Kill a woman in cold blood? How about 50? 50? You want 50? All right. All right, but it's got to be done today. Hey, hey, all right. Just as soon as I get my gun out of the pawn shop. <laughs> Danny, I've got a... Great. Great. My entire future depends on whether a moron can find a gun. <laughs> can't trust people to do anything important anymore. God forbid it should be an emergency. Hello. Uh, I'd like to know what flights you have available to Acapulco today. Huh? Okay. Thank you. Walter, would you, would you get that? I didn't order any ticket. We wanted to tell you your credit card was stolen. I know my credit cards are stolen. I'm the one who stole them. Do you still want to go to Acapulco? Acapulco? Teresa, are we going to Acapulco? Hello? Teresa? Wow. So this was that it was actually sad. It was sad to yeah. see her feel deceived by someone that she thought was her good girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, what does Irma have at this point? I mean, she thinks her husband's trying to kill her. She broke into her own house to to steal her own jewels. She finds out that her friend Loretta is trying to immediately strike up an affair with her husband. And then her only friend that she did have, Teresa, has now taken off with her hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jewels. So Irma arrives to the airport. You know, she's in a fucking mood at that point, baby. And she puts <laughs> over a man that's like walking through because this is like, by the way, pre 9-11 airports where like anyone could walk up to a gate yeah literally some man who shows up to sell hawaiian lays and coconuts and just vacation bullshit to people who are traveling and you know she gets up to the the flight like where they would take off and she finds out that they she they left on time she goes oh they left on time what kind of airport is this um (laughs) <laughs> and Gil is there with a gun ready to kill Irma. And when she rounds a cor- corner to pass him, he shoots only to find out that there are no bullets. So he kind of goes back for a moment and checks the gun. And then when he goes to bring the gun up again, Irma is gone. And that's because Danny is popped out of a door and c- grabs her, pulls her into the bathroom. So Danny and Irma are alone and Danny has her mouth covered and he tells her not to be afraid. Remember him? It's Teresa's boyfriend. So she nods and she's like, oh, Next time you rob someone, wear rubber gloves. You've got sweaty palms. <laughs> so, 
Danny tells her that her husband offered her 50 grand to kill her and that he's willing to negotiate. And she tells him that he's a money-grubbing piece of slime, but she'll give him $50,000 not to kill her. And he says, how about 100000 And she says, 100000 does that mean for one time or does the 100000 cover me for the rest of my life? And he tells her that he would, <laughs> she would never have to worry about her husband again. Um, he is the answer to her problems that she's been looking for. And she's like, why don't we just forget we ever met each other, okay? I bet you're good at forgetting things. And she starts to head out of the bathroom and he tells her, she doesn't want to know anything. Don't forget $100,000. So, you know, now Danny thinks that he's doing her the favor of killing of killing uh, Walter. Well, like, this is all, you know, this is just some great, great hijinks, as we've talked about in this movie. Right, right. And it's also just like you got to admire, you know, Danny just trying to get a deal wherever he can get one. Uh, <laughs> how much do you want to stay alive, bitch? How much are you willing to pay me? <laughs> Danny also took that assertiveness class for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Teresa's at the hotel watching Monique in the morning when Irma returns. So um one seventeen oh eight to one twenty one twenty five. A lot happens here. I tried to be a role model, but if I can have it all in my life, then hey, so can you. You deserve the best. After all, you're a very special person. <laughs> What are you doing here? I was watching Monique till I ran out of quarters. So I came back to watch Monique? But you remember there was something you'd forgotten to steal. What are you talking about? Cut the act, Teresa. I know you took the jewelry. You know, I should have known better than to try to fool you. I forgot rich people know everything. you want but first i want to ask you something what why did you come back i didn't mean to i was on my way to the airport i don't know i just started thinking about things you know look maybe i just don't like to fly Maybe you found out there's more to life than just money. I know I did. Oh, Irma, I'm sorry. Teresa. Oh, Teresa. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Hey, come on. Teresa. 
the nice thing about not wearing makeup is when you cry, you haven't got any eyelashes to float away. <laughs> you are so silly. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Oh, will you leave that alone? You look great in it. Teresa, what? do you like me? Are you kidding? No, no, I mean, I mean, really, really like me. Well, now, I wouldn't want to be your maid, but... Yeah, I do like it. Do you know, when I was a little girl, I didn't have any friends. Oh. No, even my parents didn't like me. They, they couldn't wait to get rid of me. When I was 10 years old, they bought me a Porsche. Everyone said I was a spoiled brat. Here I am, here I am, 43 years old. People still think I'm a spoiled brat. Maybe there's a Peter Pan syndrome for women. Maybe it's time I grew up. What are you talking about? under the covers anymore and hoping he won't find me. I've got to do something about it. And you two can't just keep running away from all this anymore than I run away from Walter. Sooner or later he's going to find me. I mean, if Danny found me, he's going to find me. When did you see Danny? At the airport when I was looking for you. You know, I couldn't understand one thing he was saying. I mean, he, he said something about wanting to be my, my bodyguard, and if I gave him $100,000, I'd never have to worry about Walter again, and the whole... What? He said, if I gave him $100,000, I'd never have to worry about Walter. Irma. Teresa. Oh, Irma. Oh, Teresa. Oh, there's a phone call. Oh, Teresa. That really does remind me of us. Oh, yeah, it was a sweet moment. Uh, you could tell. I think at least the actresses liked each other. There was something genuine there, or at least like they're just so both talented that they could pull that off in seemingly genuine. I was just Googling and uh, Joan Rivers was 57 at the time of this movie came out. Yeah, I thought that was like a fake outline because she started to say f- 43. Like she started <laughs> yeah. to say 53 the same way that... um. Teresa said like she started a name with a V and then she like corrected her name. So like Teresa, she doesn't know Teresa's last name either. I feel like they did a couple like fake out things that don't really pick up in the closed captioning or like it it requires a closer listen. But I assume that that was Joan doing like a bit where she was like, like me saying I'm 21. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But also because she's like, are we really friends? And you asked me if we were really friends for the first eight years of our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to circle back to something, which is as a person who has been imitated to no end, because I guess I do have sort of I have a signature voice, if you will. Um, (laughs) What did you think about? Gil impersonating Walter on the phone. I actually think he did a pretty good job. He's like, hey, it's me, Walter. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Where it's like, it was pretty good, but I always like, whenever I hear someone do an impression of me, I want to be like, no, let me teach you how to do it. Like, how do you, wait, 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 wait. Can you impersonate someone impersonating you? When people impersonate me, they're always like, hey, it's malls. Um, anyway, um, it's like it's just not nuanced. Like they don't they <laughs> what it is that they don't get is they don't get the rhythm at which I speak. You have to understand the rhythm in which I speak. It's a it's a rhythm. Like there's something musical about my voice, which I've been told. <laughs> 
A man once told me. I love that you're like, it lacks nuance. No, there was a man who once came uh, to my college when we did a a comedy reunion, which I'm not going to elaborate on that anymore. And he was like 40. And me and my friend Griffin took him to buy weed. And he goes, Molly, you know what I like about you? You got a song in your voice and a song in your heart. And I was like, damn. I was like, that is so true. Like, I absolutely do. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people just think that if you talk in like sort of what it could be perceived as like a flat hipstery voice with like vocal fry, that that's my voice. But they're missing out on the rhythm of my voice, baby. Got a song in my voice and a song in my heart. I just think that it's so funny. You did a pretty good job of of imitating other imitators. I will say that. Yeah, it's, it's me. Well, it's me, Malls. And hey, what people don't understand is, guys, I am a voice yeah. in my song in my heart. See, that's bad. Like the impression you just did is really <laughs> bad because I don't do that. Like, no, there's something in that quality that you were just doing. It's like the end of your sentences have too much of like you you stick the landing too hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing is like people do they overstick the landing where it's like I will let something trail out and other people are like you know they they try to like end it with a flare and it's like I don't do that <laughs> okay. I pay good money to hear someone accurately impersonate me um anyway actually wouldn't I would prefer that no one yeah I'm like who that. can I get on cameo now <laughs> I don't know. I mean, even they would get it wrong. It's just I'm, you know, often, often duplicated. Often imitated, never. never... Yeah, there we go. <laughs> often imitated, never duplicated. There we are. That's it. <laughs> so then we get to Danny, who's at his apartment loading a gun, and he's getting ready to meet Walter at the wedding. And the phone rings as soon as he leaves, and it's Teresa and Irma um, out on the sidewalk. And Teresa tells Irma to call Walter and to warn him. So she does, and Clara answers. And she says that they need to talk to Walter right now. And Clara tells her that he went to a wedding. He's at the wedding right now. But before she hangs up, she tells her to put on the burglar alarm. So they're at the... um. They're at the Ambassador, which is where we both lived when we met each other, right in Koreatown. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I didn't, I was like, I'd never lived at the Ambassador, but I had, I did live in Koreatown. And the Ambassador was torn down by the time we moved here. Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. It was, is that, it was right across the street from the HMS Bounty, right? Yeah. It's where RFK got shot. Mm hmm. So yeah, they tore it down in 2000. Nine, no, that was I moved here in 06. So it was well, I moved here in 08. It was I gone think, by the time I moved here. Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure they filmed uh what was that movie with was it Jared Leto and Zach Efron where RFK was shot and they like checked everybody's angles? And that was like the last movie to film in that hotel. Let me see. The Ambassador I'll Hotel. Okay, well, you can all right, you called it. I also looked it up, but I'll let you do it. Um, so um, we're at the wedding now, and um, Ginger kisses her husband at the altar. The, the, one of the only other diversity castings in this movie is that Ginger's yep. husband is Asian, and I loved that. Um, Loretta is squeezing Walter's buns in the aisle at the wedding, and then Gil comes running up to Walter and says he needs to talk to him. So. 
They um, Then we cut to the kitchen inside the ambassador and Irma and Teresa are sneaking through holding these wooden crates next to their heads. This is more, this is hijinks central. This is when we hit hijinks central. So Teresa says she's going to go find Walter and to hide. And so she climbs under the cart that's carrying the wedding cake. And then Danny sneaks into the kitchen to move the cake and Irma has to walk backwards in order to stay under there. So then Walter tries to catch Gil up on everything and he thinks that someone is trying to kill Irma. Then Gilbert says that's hard to believe. Somebody drained drained her bank. Uh, then Walter says no. Somebody drained her bl- uh, brake fluid, and somebody must have rigged the back pillow to short circuit, and that's why um, it went missing. And so it has to be the same person who also locked her in the garage. And he hasn't gone to the police yet because afraid they're afraid he'll, they'll think he cracked his mold or something. Who would have any reason to kill Irma? And that's when it hits him. And Gil pulls out a gun on him. And just then, Danny enters with the cake. And from here on out, hijinks central. So do you <laughs> want to tell me about the the ambassador? Yeah, it was uh, the film that I was talking about was the 2006 movie Bobby. And uh, it was, you're right, it was demolished in 2005. So they filmed the movie in 2005. And that was like the last thing they ever filmed in there. Hmm. Yeah, because I remember it, it must have been torn down shortly before I moved to L.A. And, um, you know, obviously I I lived in Koreatown for my young living in L.A. years. God, that was such a great place to live, especially. I mean, it wasn't as developed as it is now. Like, I remember you and I only had so many places to go when we lived there. Oh, oh, shit. Sorry. When we were working, you and I always went to um like the coffee bean that was there. And now Yeah, before they started covering up the plugs. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Fuck that. That's all we had, girl. That's all we had. Um, we would go there all the time and work. And that was the to look back, I can't believe you didn't know if I was your friend then. <laughs> I have um, uh what is it, anxious attachment issues, I guess. Oh, for sure. Well, because like I like I remember like eight years into our friendship, you were like, are we really friends? And I was like, I cannot believe I'm still answering this question. <laughs> like, we're really fucking friends, bitch. Like, what do you think? <laughs> I'm some sicko who's just like desperate to bring people around me. That I, I am. That's like my deep with. fear is that like I'm secretly being becoming friends with someone who's like a manipulative, you know, like. a Yeah, you think I'm an uh, I mean, listen. God, that is so sad. You think I'm a Teresa to your Irma? <laughs> you know now that we're real friends, right? Yes. I know I'm not the patsy. You're not setting me up to be your patsy or something like that. No. Oh, my God. All right. That's. <laughs> in, I mean, it's insane to me, but also I respect that that's a fear you have because I'm sure that's not born out of nothing. Um, but okay. so let's, Thank you for respecting my trauma. Of course. Now, let's uh, welcome ourselves in a hijink city, 12437 to 12620. Gilbert, you are not going to believe this. I just found out something. I think somebody really is trying to kill Irma. Oh, that is hard to believe. Uh, you got any proof? Proof. Somebody drained the brake fluid out of Irma's car, and that back massager had to be rigged on purpose to short circuit. That's why it disappeared, so we couldn't check on the wiring. It had to be the same person who locked Irma in the garage. What did the police say about all this? I haven't been to the police yet. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid they'll think I cracked my mold or something. I mean, this is nuts. There's no motive. Who? Who in the world would have any reason to want to kill Irma?
am your worst nightmare. Yeah, that's what you think. What's the matter with your neck? Look, your wife offered me $100,000 to kill you, but I'm willing to negotiate. For $150,000, I'll go back and I'll kill her. What do you say? I don't want to kill her. I just want her back. I love her. Oh, Walter. Oh, Walter. Oh, Walter, come on. You offered me $50,000 if I killed her today. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, well, then who did? Why? I Come on, spit it out! Gilbert! Look, I don't know what Walter's been telling you, but... Where's Gilbert? What's the matter with your neck? Okay. So, <laughs> what happened in this scene is that Joan Rivers pulls the cake cart up to Danny so he falls into the cake and then Gilbert and Danny start fighting and then oh sorry Walter and uh, Danny start fighting okay wait I just want to like respect Walter's I mean Danny's game because he managed oh. to negotiate from $25,000 to kill Irma to 50000 to kill her to 100000 to keep her alive to 150000 <laughs> No, he started her. out at one grand, which he then negotiated to five grand, which he then negotiated to 50, then 100, then 150. And I have to say, I just heard Danny say negotiate for the first time. He said negotiate, which I love. <laughs> negotiate is iconic to me. Yeah. Um, but okay, so to go through, so yes, true hustler, and I have to say, assertive assertiveness class. I need to go to that. So, okay, yeah. then <laughs> I'm going to Google for us to find Danny some assertiveness and, classes. Danny and Walter are now fighting, covered in cake, and then it becomes clear that Gil is behind these palm fronds, this like fern <laughs> thing, and so um. Teresa comes out of nowhere like a bat out of hell to disarm Gil and like she's on Gil's back fighting him and then Morgan Fairchild walks in and she thinks all of this is going on because of her which is fucking hilarious um and then I think Joan Rivers smacks one of them over the head with like a cake plate I just have to tell you as someone who has like written scripts it is so difficult to write in hijinks like that it is so difficult to write them in in a way that's both funny on screen and clear on paper it's like hijinks are the hardest thing to write to me in writing so how do you i mean since you work with todd do you like not flex that skill as much or no, what do you when think I, when I write by myself, I don't write stuff that's heavily hijinks driven. I don't have a problem with like writing prose. It's just there's something about pacing of hijinks on a page that I have a really hard time with. So if I were to write a script on my own that I was having a problem with the hijinks, I would probably turn to a friend like Todd or Todd and be like, hey, what's the best way to pace this out? Now I'm getting better at it because I just wrote a script that's like incredibly hijinks heavy. All right. That required a lot of like maneuvering for me because that was, it was a learning curve. Like honestly to write comedy hijinks, I rarely enjoy them on screen and I yeah. enjoyed them in this movie because they were so campy. Mm -hmm. But generally like 
when they go into the hijinks shit on a sitcom, I'm not a big fan. So I kind of just like avoid them as much as possible because I think there's so many more like visual jokes you can do that aren't like, you know, oh, we're all slipping around in cake on the floor. Like so funny. (laughs) I don't really like die laughing at that shit because I'm missing that gene that thinks it's funny when people fall or when people get hurt. Like that's not something I really laugh at. I feel the same way. I remember my dad used to love showing me the Three Stooges and I just could not find out. I mean, I think it was also just like such old comedy that like it just doesn't resonate with you anymore. But like I've never loved that. I've never been into like slapsticky, like somebody falling over or getting hit in the nuts kind of comedy. That's why I always liked when Shemp would come into the picture on Three Stooges because I felt like he was the most cerebral of the group. And I really have to say <laughs> when Shemp came in on Three Stooges, that's when I really, really fell in love with that show. Um, but for the most part, I agree with you. I don't love. Yeah, I don't love. And in real life, like when people like show like videos of people like, oh, this viral moment of this guy falling. I hate that. I never find that funny. I never find it funny. Like, I actually feel very sad when I see stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I do like when people drive their trucks that don't fit under a bridge into the bridge. I do like that because that's just being bad at your job. Yeah. (laughs) And like very few people get hurt, except, you know, the driver of that truck is going to have a really bad day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah. So. Um, I wrote in my notes, this movie is fucking iconic. There are no words. Um, Irma and Teresa have some BFF photos taken at the wedding by a photographer that's there. And I thought that was really cute. And Gil and Danny are being brought out by the police. Teresa pulls an officer aside and tells her that they need to talk. So we're going to play this one last clip in the movie, 12641 to 12836. I hope my wedding's this nice. I'll make sure. <laughs> Were they fighting over me? All right, enough already. Let's go. Move it out. Move it. Way to go, Gil. Let's talk. Don't I know that girl? Isn't she my maid? She's my friend. Irma, it is not like you to associate with people of that class. Well, maybe I just got tired of being like me. It was so much like being like you. I'm not quite sure how to take that. I mean, it's perfectly simple. Are those the ugliest bridesmaids' dresses you have ever seen? Will you stop and finish the story? Anyhow, Gilbert couldn't kill both of us. It would have been too obvious. So he figured if he killed me, made it look like you did, could have gotten rid of both of us, he'd be left with the tool and die company. That is incredible. 20 years with that man, and I still didn't know him. It's because you don't watch Monique. It's a typical Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. Shut up and just hold me. Oh, you feel so good. Those look terrible. Yeah, you're right. But I love you anyway. 
I, I have to tell you, this is the first Lifetime movie in a long time that I left the movie is smiling. Oh, really? Yeah, because like typically, you know, you you go through all this drama and then you get the lifetime ending, which is yes. just so unsatisfactory because like you watch a murder go down and then you come up six months later and everyone's having a picnic and the adopted daughter is happily sitting at the <laughs> table, even though she was abducted six months ago and found out that like her father was her brother. Like the I like these movies always leave me like such a like, OK, and then that's that. And if you want to watch the movie, watch the movie. This is like Menu for Murder with me where this was the first movie in a really long time where I have to tell you guys genuinely watch this movie for the laughs. It is really funny. It's really like a wholesome story and it leaves you on a good vibe, which I think we can all agree we need at this point. American or not, everyone needs a laugh right now. So I fucking love this movie. I was so bummed to see it got five out of four stars on IMDb. Really? Come on. This is at least, you I mean, you have to realize the average Lifetime movie gets about five stars. And so to see a movie that was this good and is like sort of this above. Oh, you mean you like know? five out of 10 stars. Sorry. You said five out of four. Oh, sorry. Five, 5.4 out of 10 stars. Yes. That's okay. I'm, yeah. 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 That's the yeah. rating for it. What would you give it then? Like a seven? For on a lifetime scale, like I think this deserves to chart higher than your average lifetime movie. I think that this movie compared to lifetime movies is probably closer to like an eight out of 10. But in the world of movies, probably a seven out of 10. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. And it's interesting because like we just watched a really sort of bad one that just aired today. Um God, what was the movie called? Uh, Boy in the Attic. And that movie had like the same score. And that movie was a fucking shit show. Um, It was like a disaster (laughs) movie. So I, yeah, this movie I thought was so good. I'm so glad that we got to do this together. I had no idea that this movie was about a strong female friendship. Like you and I Yes. Honestly, Christina, I have to say, even though I haven't seen you in six months because we've both been locked in our houses, you are still my best friend and I love you so much and I am so appreciative of you and I'm really glad we got to watch this together. Yeah, I feel the same way. I love you so much too, Molly, and I'm I'm sad we haven't seen each other, but... Um... Dude, it's so fucking sad, but like also what's so good is that I can know that no matter what, I can go six to eight months without seeing my friends and they're still my best friends like you and ed are still my (laughs) best friends even though i haven't seen y'all in that long i know we're all sort of like in the same situation and i'm sure so many people are having like internal crises about whether or not this time has affected their friendships i'm sure there's people who are taking inventory and being like you know what when we go back to seeing people i don't need to see those people anymore yeah but i can confidently say i love you and I'm so fucking happy that you're my friend. And I can't wait to give you a hug. Oh, I can't wait to hug you when this is over too, Molly. It's like been, yeah, it's been, I'm going to like cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I think right. a lot of people listening probably feel the same way. And I hope that this like, I hope that this alleviated some of that feeling, like listening to us like gush about this friendship movie. Like, you know, I hope it gave people some relief. I hope you guys have a podcast that you can reconnect with your best friend. <laughs> I love you so much. I, You guys, thank you so much for listening. Christina, do you have any other thoughts on this movie before we wrap up? 
No, I mean, just like if you need something, you know, to watch and you can like you can do it like I did and you can watch it in chunks if you want. But it's like it is it will leave you on a good note. Yeah, it's really it's like it's a really positive movie. And I think it's all its faults, you know, right now. Yeah, we needed this movie to carry us through. Um, Well, Christina's all of her information, which I'm sure you all know by now, because, you know, if you listen to this podcast. You, I assume I assume you know something about me, but maybe you don't. Hi, this is my best friend, Christina. All of her Hi. social stuff will be linked in the description of this podcast, so you can go find her. Um, thank you so much for listening, you guys. Make sure that you have a really good day. Stay safe, and uh, God bless America. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.